Hey everybody, welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. How are you? It's Friday night. It's been a long week. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Um, we've got a great special guest tonight. We've got Delana Nova Scott from Third Power Amplification. How are you doing, Delana? I'm doing great. I'm super excited. Got my uh, got my bourbon here, ready for the party. <laughs> yes, actually, let's let's do it. We're gonna show okay. it up here. Let's, let's do it. Instead cheers. of just cheersing our glasses, we're gonna nice cheers to our bottles. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dave, what do you got? You got the Alice in Chains bottle. Alice in Chains whiskey, which someone was very nice to give to me. Yes. Now, wasn't there some kind of like it spent 10 more years in a tequila, uh, something you said? Uh, aged in tequila barrels. So there I don't, you go. Hey, the best of both worlds. Yes. Yeah. Well, cheers, everybody. Um, I'm pouring my, my glass. So just so anybody who's is a fan of the show... I haven't opened this bottle since I think the George Metropolis episode is like episode number two. So it's like three years old. And uh, so anyway, cheers. Cheers. Oh, shit. That's strong. It's got a. Mm-hmm. No, that's smooth. Oh, it's good. Trust <laughs> me. But for me, you know, I don't I don't normally do this. So uh, so. How's everybody's week? Delana, how was your week staying at home? Yeah, uh, like every other week for what, six weeks now? Yeah. Um, you get, uh, I, I, I went from stir crazy, you kind of don't believe it, and then it's happening. Then it kind of becomes a new normal, and then you're like, damn, will this ever end? And I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that this is normal, right. and I'm probably going to do some level of this for probably the next year and a half. I've just kind of, because, I don't want to catch this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Now, now, ten, you're in Nashville now. Haven't they really kind of opened up a little bit? Well, uh, today was the first day that some restaurants uh, are opening up and and uh, with limited capacity. Um, I wanted to drop by Best Buy and uh, pick up some electronics uh, accessories. I was going to try to you know, up my game for the show, but instead I've got a 57 here. Uh, but it was curbside delivery only, and you, you needed to put your order in long before my spur of the moment, you know, mm. motivation for today. But Broadway's still shut down. As far as I know, there's nobody's nobody's doing gigs, and that was a heartbreaker. I, was, I had a show April 12th. Uh, I had shows in California and uh, Denver I was supposed to play. Um, that's canceled at show in L.A. I was probably going to I mean, that's canceled in August, but I was going to you know, be down there in Hollywood and a tour in uh, uh, Australian tour. This was probably going to be my most active year in, in five years just as as an artist. But it's all shelved now. Uh, yeah, it's tough. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, tough for everybody. It's interesting to see what happens, you know? Yeah with all the shows and everything, it'd be interesting. I, I, I actually sort of think that uh, people are getting really stir crazy and they're gonna go nuts when it opens up again, you know? I agree. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm popping this link over to a couple of uh, the social media is to get to get people out. Yeah, please do that. I've, unfortunately, I can't send it on Facebook. There's 
an issue with Facebook for me right now. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've I've got it. Um, okay. Cool. So there it goes. Yeah. You know, I'm still working. I'm still home. So uh, they haven't opened up anything here. And Dave, you're yeah. still at home too, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, everything is. Um, Shut down, so to speak. I mean, um, it's funny uh, when when it when it first happened, you you saw no cars and no nothing, and it was really quiet. Mm -hmm. And now, over time, it's like well, there's sure a lot more cars on the street. Where's yeah. everyone going? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but everything's shut down really, other than you know your liquor store, grocery store, uh, food places that you can pick stuff up. Or I know people you know. have just gone out for a drive, like just to get out, like just to go yeah. in the car and just be like, I don't care where we go. Let's just go somewhere. Frankly, for me, it's not much different than my normal life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, my, my personal custom shop is right down the street from my house. Uh, I go there. I've also set up uh, a workshop here at home now yeah. also, which I haven't really started working yet, but I just kind of finished setting it up. So, um, so I'm going to work both places and, um, I, I, there's still rig work that I'm doing, um, that I'm still been contracted to do. In fact, I even took in a couple new things. So my, our one employee still gets to work yeah. and, um, uh, at least for the rig building and stuff. And, uh, you know, and I'll tell you, everyone sure seems to be obsessing over their gear because I'm sure getting a lot of emails and, hey, can you uh, modify my app to do this and do this thing and this? And sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> send it. Absolutely. I, I was thinking about this, uh, this is the last couple of days is here's one thing we know is musicians. I mean, the world. Uh, well, first of all, being a musician is like going straight to hell anyway. <laughs> and, and the world, the world's going to hell now too, uh, if it wasn't already. But I'm finding, you know, everybody's like more resolute in that. Yeah, I'm a musician. This is, you know, I was kind of born to do this. This is what I do. And like you said, obsessing over their tone, yeah. uh, which is great. You yeah. know, so it's getting people off the fence. Um, I've got a, a buddy who calls on Sweetwater, and he says that in that place is absolutely on fire with their business uh, and a lot of it is um at the student level you know so maybe mm -hmm. not guys touring but you have people with all this time to kill that are they're finally jumping into their passion of music so right. that's an upside i don't know i mean i don't i haven't talked to anybody at nam lately but is there going to be a trade show in the next two years I, 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 mm, next two years Summer Nam's gone. To be honest, I think I think you know the most you're going to see is it off for one year. Yeah, I I, there, I don't think there's any way possible that it would be off for two. Yeah, maybe this coming winter, and then maybe the following summer. Well, um, I don't know about this winter. Yeah, I think this winter is is done. Yeah, I you, yeah, you think it's it's oh yeah. Well, I don't know if I want to participate in it. That's correct, <laughs> right? Be, I mean, it's, it's expensive I mean, like, as it is, but then a crapshoot because yeah, who's, yeah. Like, I think I think honestly that we could spend um, our money more wisely making very complete, detailed demos of our new products. Yeah. So say you have three new products, 
why not have a virtual complete in-depth turn every knob demo yeah and and send this to your dealers and send this to your sales guys and everyone that's involved and put it out there in the general public i honestly think it's probably better you 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 then can control your message control what you um are sending people and uh yeah it'd be better yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. know i mean it's because the buyers at nam that actually buy for stores and different things do not play the product yeah they come they look at the product they might listen to someone play it for a second uh they look at it, you tell them about it, and then they buy. There's no playing involved. So the rest of it is just shaking end, hands. End users, end users or musicians that just, you know, want to yeah. play really loud in our sound room. And if you had good sound demos that went along with the description of the product and the good, great pictures of the product, what else do you need? Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. I mean, and then you will also have your YouTubers do their normal videos and everything else also. So yeah. um, you'll have and spend way less money. Oh, my God. I mean, for, for a company like Boutique Amps Distribution, the NAMM show, with as large as the booth is. And yeah, you guys do a 40 by 40, right? 50 by 50 booth. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah, 50 by 50 booth and. Multiple companies, multiple employees, multiple hotel rooms. I mean, fifteen or sixteen hotel rooms. Uh, you know, for for four or five days, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, five five days, five nights, I think, because you got a setup day, and um, that's all. I mean, you know, the hotel rooms are probably a thousand dollars a room or something. It's fifteen grand right there, just yeah. rooms. Not to mention food. Not to mention. The, the booth itself, the booth rate itself is, I don't know what the exact figure is, but it's. Yeah. And just the wear it's and tear on your 60, body. $70,000 for the bare floor, something like that. Yeah. But just the whole wear and tear of those four days on everybody is just crazy, too. Leaking. Oh, yeah. Wear and tear on that, but also realistically, you know, the company pretty much for that month shuts down for pretty, pretty much it's kind of shut down not shipping gear or not at least not shipping as much gear um yeah. because you know there's people setting up the booth there's people preparing the stuff beforehand to get it all out and people working on the nam gear that goes to nam so basically yeah it's a month that has no money coming in and you know i don't think anybody out there uh tuned into this video um California, I mean, you've got the Teamsters there. For your gear to even sh touch the dock costs you guys thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, I sent 10 amps one year, and, you know, I choked at an $1,800 dock fee to get my stuff in and out of there. And I got to imagine, I mean, it, this kind of stuff you guys bring in, I mean, your dock fee is just crazy. I don't even know what it is. I, I you know, I, and I'm afraid I don't even want to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my 10 by 10 costs like 15, 1800 bucks. So yeah. yeah. And can you imagine what other companies? Then oh, what's, how much is the booth is four grand or five grand or something? 10 by 10. Yeah. I was, uh, I was spending close to that. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, with hotels flying this, that, I mean, you know, you're well over 10 grand. Yeah. Just for the tiniest of booths. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I remember doing Winter Nam and finally breaking even by by May. By the by the time that hey, it's all paid and now everything we're selling is like you know recharging as opposed to just trying to get out of you know get the credit card paid off kind of thing. Right, 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 right. right. Oh well, boy, unfortunately, yeah. summer Nam. Go Nam! I'm sorry. <laughs> Go Nam! Yeah, it's it's uh it sucks, but you know like the technology is just pushing forward now on a lot of things. I mean, we obviously we've been doing video chatting on the show for years, but um, a lot for business hasn't really been used. And I know now video chatting, clients aren't seeing people in the corporate world, but there's still business going on. So there's a lot of video calls and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty interesting how this has pushed a lot of different things. And I think how technology will help. But uh, on that note, I want to get back to you, Delana. So yeah, uh, you have a great story about, you know, how you got into this business and, um, you know, and you've got patents, you have, uh, you've, you know, you met Ingve back in the day, you've, you know, recorded an album, you, I think you said you were signed to Shrapnel Records, um, you know, a whole host of great things that I really want to hear about. So, uh, you know, tell us. You know, tell us about how you got into music and how you got into the, yeah. all of this stuff. I'm sure that, it's, you know, there's a whole host of stuff. So this can go oh down. My a gosh. Whole, yeah. So, but, you know. Yeah, we'll take a step. You yeah. know, and I'll, I, uh, for as outgoing as I appear to be on camera and I perform and play live, I tend to be, um, I'm comfortable talking about, you know, my band, I got a new record. That's great. That's easy. I certainly can talk about my gear, but what I, it's always been when I talk about myself, I don't really just put it out there, um, except for you know, certain areas. But, um, you know, my story, you know, it starts at I was born in the mid 60s. My mom was uh, she was a costume designer hippie. I mean, I grew up in California and Haight-Ashbury and San Francisco and, you know, uh, all of that was reality. It wasn't a movie. You know, nursery nursery rhymes for me were, you know, like Boris the Spider from Who. Um, uh, it just, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, in 1969, there was the Seattle Pop Festival, which was the precursor to um, Woodstock. I think it was, what, one or two weeks prior to Woodstock on the East Coast. And uh, it was my mom's birthday. It was on Sunday. We went there, uh, I believe. Her birthday was the 26th. Sunday was the 27th. If At one time, I kind of looked at the calendar and goes, oh, wow, that was mom's birthday. And that's why we went to the show. But um, believe it or not, I saw The Doors. I saw Led Zeppelin. And um, now I'm, you know, three and a half years old or something. You say, how do you remember that? I have a very vivid memory, which I mentioned to you, Mark, when we were on the phone. That afternoon, Bo Diddley played, and my mom was working with one of the gals' uh, costumes. In fact, our, our hotel rooms were butted up, and the door was open, and I just, uh, sorry about that, could walk back and forth while my mom was working on her, her clothing. So um, I got to sit on the stage, and Bo played on, uh, it was kind of just a flatbed trailer, you know, I mean, this was just a big empty field where they had this show and I've got my feet dangling over and I'm looking up at Bo Diddley you know just mere feet away and I remember him playing and he sang a line and he 
pointed at me and looked right down at me. And you just, I can remember grinning. And I mean, if you aren't infused with the bug, uh, by that point, I don't know what'll do it. So, uh, you know, I became a music fan and when being a fan wasn't enough, uh, I picked up a guitar and I shared with you, I would, um, maybe by five years old, I would sit in front of the record player and I can remember putting the needle down on uh, George Harrison's version of If Not For You. And the slide guitar part, not for you, I'm gonna hit this mic too many times, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, I got my, my probably a nickel or a dime here for a pick and I've got, I know it was a nickel on the fretboard and I'm holding the G and D string and I find where that sound is and it's and I would wait for my cue for that part. And I, I remember just, I mean, at that point I was already learning. Um, and, and then I really took it. Oh, I was inspired. Yeah. I took it really serious, probably at about 12 years old. And I was one of those kids that, you know, socially, I didn't fit in. I never fit in. Uh, this isn't a cry fest where I talk about how bullied I was. But, yeah, I was called every name and beat up, you know, in a myriad of ways. It, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm here now. I'm still standing, right? Hey, um, I, I, I take it. Cheers. I, uh, I was okay. bullied also when I was younger. Okay. So All right. To that. Well, I'll just okay. <laughs> so, you know, my my escape was, you know, get to school, get the work done, get back home. And it was a normal day for, for literally six to eight hours. I mean, it was just normal. I put in that time and uh, I went from being the worst kid in the neighborhood playing. I had uh, Dave, you'll remember the Yamaha. Uh, 212. Was it the G100 212? Oh, yeah. Uh, combo. Amp, yeah. Uh-huh, sure. yeah, yeah. I had that combo. Uh, I had wheels on it, and we would rehearse at a buddy's house uh, probably two blocks up a hill. And they would invite me to the jam and then proceed to jam for two hours while and not let me play. But I was always invited to the jam because I had an amp loud enough. Uh, <laughs> and then it, it was, you know. I mean, tell me that, that, you know, that wouldn't give you motivation to kick these guys' ass someday. So, you know, <laughs> the last song, they'd let me jam. That's great. And then it was always, you know, yucks and giggles. And they would take my amp and literally ride it downhill for two blocks because it had casters on it and leave it on the corner for me by the time I, you know, could catch up and, and then go home with my amplifier. So I had a bone to pick. I had something to prove. And I'll tell you what. Um, I was working hard. I uh, was working hard on, um, you know, Rush was definitely part of, uh, on the technical side, uh, most certainly Scorpions, um, UFO with Shanker. Remember the the live record and Michael's like this, you know, and it's uh, oh, it's yeah. got this yeah. pixelated centerfold. Oh, yeah, I would. I, I wished I someday would be on stage like that. And you know what? I, I, I manifested it because I have. Um, I've played Hammersmith Odeon and, you know, Kosienik and Hall and Tokyo and lots of cool places. But um, so I'm practicing, practicing, practicing. And you know what really, and and so I've got, um, oh, here's a great album. Everybody out there, if you haven't heard this record for a while, you guys are going to nod in approval. Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath record. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Ronnie James Dio. 
that record was like, wow. And another misfit kid I know, his name was Dan. Um, Dan came to school and, you know, we were talking about records. And he goes, oh, you like that? You'll love this. And he pulls out Ozzy, the first record. And, oh, my gosh. So, you know, when I when I got the Ozzy record, I, I didn't fall in love with the songs. But Randy Rhodes, the way he played, I mean, songs like Suicide Solution and Mr. Crowley and, you know, Crazy Train, they're, they're catchy riffs, but they're, they're very dark songs. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, it's dark content. But Randy managed to, he always put this ray of hope. I mean, it was absolutely, like, spiritually beautiful blasting out of an Ozzy song. And I looked at his picture, and there was just something about him. Of course, I'm not the only one that, that idolized Randy Rhodes. But... The serious commitment, uh, uh, you know, I was a Zeppelin fan, but not fanatic. I was uh, absolutely a Kiss fanatic. Um, so I put in the time, and by ninth grade, summer eighth grade's over, I show up at ninth grade, and uh, I might have had a flying V by then, and my hair's starting to grow. And I show up and da da da, hell you get a good flying V and da da da. And just acoustically, I break that thing out and just, and it was just like, oh my God. But you know what? It was the minute, that was the minute the bullying stopped. Hmm. And some of the guys that were the biggest jerks would like protect me. I remember going to parties and some of the, you know, total stoners are like, what the hell are you doing here? And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I'm going to get bullied again. No, they were like, you get your ass home and practice on that guitar. You keep going, uh, <laughs> which was, you know, it was great, you know. So I have this affirmation, um, you know, socially, which is wonderful. So by 16 years old, I get discovered by, you know, I answer an audition uh, an ad and I stay on them and I stay on them in a band called Vicious Rumors, which you know, anybody that follows metal, there's people out there going, yeah, I know those guys. Um, we know Varney was doing shrapnel records, bringing in, yeah, I mean, look up everybody's brought in from Vinnie Moore to Ingve, you know, place with Steeler, which is a part of this story. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So VR, these guys are in their, you know, mid twenties and they're auditioning guitar players and I stay on them. And finally, you know, the, the, the cupboard's empty. Uh, they're not finding who they want. And so they're like, you know, might as well give the kid a shot. So they, they have me down and they're like, what the heck is going on here? And it's a great audition. And he was, all right, kid, you know, pretty good, man. We'll, we'll call you. And two weeks later, they call me. Now, I live literally 20 miles from the nearest member, and I don't have a car yet. And so they're coming to pick me up, and then we're rehearsing in Katati. So it's, you know, I mean, by the time that guy gets home, he's driven 120 miles. So after three auditions, um, he brings me home, and he, he turns off the car. I go, everything okay? He goes, yeah, kid, is your dad home? I go, yeah. And he goes, why don't you go get him for me? I need to have a talk with the old man. And uh, everything okay? He goes, yeah, I just need need to have a talk. So um, I go get my dad. They come out and, you know, heck, they probably smoked a joint and had a conversation. And uh, he drove off and my dad walks in. He goes, well, I got some news for you. And I'm starting to sink, right? Oh, crap. Okay, whatever. Uh, And he goes, you know what? You got the gig. And I'm buying you a car tomorrow. 
and uh, he bought me a Marshall half stack. He bought me a Toyota pickup. Very next day, handed me the keys, and he said, "All of this goes away if your grades slip." And he dropped the keys in my hands. One of the best things, um, you know, me and my relationship with Dad was not always great. Uh, many times it was kind of sucky, but this was one of those times where dad stepped up. He saw the passion and apparently that conversation with the bass player of Vicious Rumors went very well. So um, I take to it. I take to it like water and we're playing gigs. We're playing Metal Mondays. We're playing all over the place. I can't remember some of the dates, but you know, I, I, I know um, we played with Slayer. I mean, back in the day, I mean, metal was just exploding. I, I remember seeing Metallica with Dave Mustaine. I'm standing literally at the stage front uh, watching that show. Um, so it's pretty incredible. So VR, we're getting our local thing going, and uh, Jeff Thorpe, he's the he's the main guy. He's the guy. It's his band. He's still in it, you know, 40 years later. Yeah. But uh, he had the relationship with Varney, uh, took me over to, to Mike's house. In fact, I was talking to Varney earlier this week. Um, took me over there, and uh, we had coffee one morning and shot the shit a little bit. And um, we, we get signed to put a song on U.S. Metal Volume 4. So uh, I'm 16, maybe going on 17, recording at, at, at the time. That's uh, Prairie Sun Recording Studio in, in Katati. And right about the time we're doing our thing, there's you know, there's a big studio. Um, Steeler's coming in. Steeler is uh, if if you might know Ron Keel. You guys know Ron? I've never heard the name. Okay. Yeah. Well, he had Steeler. They're out of Nashville. Um, I, I haven't been in contact with Ron since I've been here. Uh, it's been ten years. God, time flies. But uh, Ron had the band from Nashville going, and uh, he got Rick Fox out of L.A., former Wasp uh, bass player. And this kid from Sweden, Ingve Malmstein, and they're uh, going into Prairie Sun to record the Steeler record, and they decide they want to play a show, and it's last minute. I think it's a Metal Monday, and uh, we get a call from Varney. Hey, got this band. We're doing a record. Got no backline. Uh, can we use your stuff? So, the first Steeler show with Ingve is on VR's backline. I, I, you know, here I am watching. You know, this first gig, Ingve's first gig. And what gear? What uh, gear were you playing at that time? Uh, we 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 were all on Marshalls uh, and an SVT rig for bass and and a, <clears throat> whatever the drum set was. I don't know, whatever. Drummers love drum gear. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm ambivalent. <laughs> right. Hey, hey Mark. Mark, so sorry, sorry to interrupt here for a second. Mark, can you send me the link, please? Oh, I didn't send it to you. Uh, no, I've been texting you and you're not responding. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And I Facebooked you. <laughs> well, face oh. I can't get it on Facebook. So, yeah, let me send it to you right now. Sorry, but my bad. <laughs> you can have it. I, uh, right. I, I can burrow into detail. but So, needless to say, what we got is a, a, a kid who just took to playing guitar. And that was my start was, you know, getting getting discovered at a young age. About that time, Davey Vane, uh, Davey's a couple years older than me. Davey worked at the local record store and was also in bands. And he had his eye on me. Um, I was in VR um, somewhere in, uh, toward the end of my senior year. Uh, VR had slowed down now. Um, 
Jeff was, you know, working on the lineup and, um, I have, I'm in my senior year and, and Jeff and I were hanging out one night and he goes, you know what? You're out of school. Huh? Sorry. Oh, I hear. Yeah. Hang on. See, this is why I don't send Dave a link. Well, no, it's not like it used to be. They changed it. If you click on the little thumbnail in the messages, it'll play it. Instead of opening it up onto the thing like it used to do, it starts playing it in there. You gotta which click, you gotta you click mute it. You gotta click on the bottom of that, not the Is that one click world it's we're not, in? Yeah, I did the bottom. That didn't work either. Huh. Amazon started it with buy now in one click. Now it's play now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna try to actually uh, do this properly. And I'm gonna wait for you. <laughs> okay, now that worked. I'm gonna wait for you and drink. There we go. Sorry, guys, technical difficulties. Uh, it's okay. No big deal. So it's a pretty exciting first uh, first start. You know, um, and Jeff and I are still buddies. Senior year, and you know, Jeff was a mentor to me. This is a wonderful human being. I mean, he he, he makes all the metal faces and. And it's sinister when he plays, but you know what? The guy's got the biggest, most awesome heart, and he always watched out for me. Uh, they felt like if they talked my dad into, into helping me get in the band, they must have promised to watch my back because those guys kept me safe. They didn't let me drink. They didn't let me fall into any traps. Uh, if we played a show and I didn't get back in town until 3 in the morning, it was always, kid, make sure you're at school. I mean, there was many a mornings where... I would pull in a school parking lot at literally 3 a.m. and I would sleep two and a half, three hours. Now I look like shit at school the next day, but dang it, I was in class and I didn't let it slip. So it was really great to to um, be that passionate and, and around some adults while, uh, and they were mentoring me along. And so senior year, halfway through the year, last few months of school, and Jeff goes, you know what, kid? And I, cause I couldn't get, wait to get out. And he goes, you know what? Be in the moment. The band's not doing much now anyway. Just focus, go kick ass at school, and enjoy these last few months because this is it. Once you graduate, you're going to be on that rock and roll roller coaster. But you know, go have this. And it was great advice because I did finish school. I did, uh, you know, uh, I was enjoying senior year was probably when I really enjoyed school. Hadn't enjoyed it much before then, but. But I, I enjoyed it um, that year, and it was great. Meanwhile, um, you know, later in that year, Jeff's, I mean, this is his life. And he had an opportunity through Varney to get uh, VR with Vinnie Moore. So I guess I'll go, I'll go down in history as the guitar player replaced by Vinnie Moore, uh, <laughs> which, um, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I do remember finding out and uh, and hearing how great he was without even hearing a, a riff. And I found out where he was staying. And I drove over and knocked on the door. <laughs> he came to the door. I go, hey, Vinny, I'm the guitar player you replaced. Can I hire you to you know, for guitar lessons? Uh, <laughs> He turned me down, so he probably had an advance, and he was okay because plenty of guitar players nowadays is like, oh, okay, I'm broke. You want guitar lessons? Yeah, no problem. Uh, but yeah, I, I I tried. I didn't get lessons, but you know, it was uh, it was shameless after uh, um, 
you know, the shredding that was going on. And then after that, um, Davey Vane worked at a record store and I used to record guitar solos, you know, bona fide. My first, not eruption. Uh, I've never really played like Eddie. I mean, I can do the bar and I can do the wiggles and make the noises. And, you know, I can, if my chops are up, I can fake eruption pretty darn convincingly. Uh, uh, certainly loved it, but I was doing guitar solos that were maybe more inspired by Michael Schenker. Uh, certainly melody. The, if it, if I'm going to rip, I'm going to rip for a reason and it's going to move there and take you someplace and then plateau and then build up and then go that that's kind of my style. Uh, when I play, I play like I'm, uh, I, I'm making a scene in a movie, you know, I'll put some furniture in there and I'll, I'll paint the wall if it needs some paint or whatever. And if I'm going to melt your face off, it's for a very particular effect. Uh, and I kept bringing solos of me playing on it. Remember when we had cassette tapes back in the day? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I have a I, I have a giant tub full of cassette tapes of all of my music career, but I can't find a damn cassette tape player. Uh, I bought a used one, guaranteed to work. I plugged in a tape, but I made sure it was not an important tape because it ate the darn thing. So I got to find a cassette tape. But I'd take Davey cassette tape, cassette tape, and he'd be like, geez, this kid keeps bringing me tapes. And then one time, uh, it was an old, this, this was uh, Rainbow Records on Santa Rosa Avenue in Santa Rosa. And you could come in the store, but it used to be like a, a bank or a pharmacy or whatever, because at the very back of the store, there was like the drive-through uh, uh, window. And I remember leaving, uh, talking with Davey, and I walked out and I get in the car and to get out of the parking lot, you drive there. And as I drive, he's yelling, hey, kid, hey, kid. And he's waving out the window. And he hadn't heard it yet. But finally, he called. He call, I, so I pulled back. And he goes, you think you're pretty good, huh? And I said, well, yeah, I am pretty good. Take a listen. And um, he did because my phone number was on the tape. And he called me. And we we daydreamed of what Vane would be for about two or three years. And uh, he started the band. He got the lineup, he got a handful of songs going and then invited me down and I, uh, he said, okay, well watch us play a song and I watched and he goes, okay, all right, jump in now. And I jumped in and I never put down a guitar. I've been playing with Davey since probably 1986 at this point. So that's a long time. Um, but that that's an, another wonderful human being that He's been there for me through my ups and downs. He's been a source of inspiration. Um, I know through my life and I'll, I'll get to, well, I'll, I'll save some of this for later for hour two after we've all, everybody in the audience has, has drank more as well. <laughs> so we're doing the club scene. Now, San Francisco is where metal bands came from. LA is where hair bands came from. Davey was a producer. Still is. Uh, you know, Davey's got a Grammy for uh, uh, his work in the studio with Christina Aguilera. Um, he did, uh, he helped do the vocals on I Am Beautiful. Is that the song? Uh, the Linda Perry song? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Smash yeah. mega hit. It's actually a very good song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've heard the song, the songwriter demo that Linda did. So I've heard I Am Beautiful with Linda Perry uh, singing it mm. as the demo. And wow. she was, How is it? she was, oh my God. I mean, we know Linda Perry's an, you know, an icon uh, as a vocalist, 
but she was selling that song hard on the demo. So you're like shivering. Uh, and, and Christina did it justice, but to hear Linda gravel through, I am beautiful and just really like mean it. You're like, Oof, right. I felt that. Yeah. Um, it's a good song. Very good song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, but Davey produced, um, the ultraviolence by death angel and, uh, and a lot of other things, but that's the one that can pop off the, the top of my head. Um, we were the glam band from San Francisco that um, if we had enough to drink, you know, our, our thing was um, we were kind of badass, but, you know, metal bands were like, we'll kick your ass. And Vane was like, we'll kick your ass and fuck your girlfriend. So <laughs> we, we were the glam, glam band uh, w- with metal cred. And, um, uh, and while that helped us, and in fact, Vane, Vane's like this underground cool thing. We, we never blew up quite like uh, your Sunset Strip fans. But I bet you, had we moved to L.A. by, you know, 87, Vane would have probably been a lot bigger. Um, but, you know, we got signed to Island. Uh, I think it was late 88, 89, put out our first record, Um now this is a band with U2 money and Bob Marley money and, and total integrity. So we got to make the record of our dreams. The first record was No Respect. It was produced by Paul Northfield, who did uh, Queensryche, Rush, yeah, things where uh, Davey has kind of a, a, a higher voice, but not like either of those two bands, but he definitely has an upper register, clear, clear voice. And so um, Paul was the perfect producer and we did a live off the floor kind of record, and it still stands the test of time because it's not washed with all the effects of the era. Um, it has a couple of gang vocals, kind of, maybe not too big, uh, but we, uh, you know, had our time on on MTV rotation and Headbangers Ball, um, toured England with Skid Row, which was cool. Um, it's interesting playing shows with bands like uh, we played with Poison. You know, I, I was, we played with all these bands and I never really watched the bands we were playing with because I talked about, I kind of kept to myself, but I would, to get ready for a show, yeah, some guys, you know, they're going to burr off the edge a little bit with a beer or, or toke a little something. I would restring my guitars. I had to have my Zen moment with my instrument. It's probably not unlike, you know, a lot of musicians out there. You find your thing that kind of gets you in the zone. So I was always into my gear. Um, looking back on it now, I wished, you know, I maybe watched more of the set, but I didn't really care for Poison. That's, you know, uh, I certainly respect them and respect what they what they did, but their show didn't blow me away. I knew Brett Michaels was a star. I mean, you flat out that guy backstage. And you're seeing him just walk the crowd, and you're like, okay, the guy's mega. We yeah. played with Guns N' Roses, uh, Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy. I loved Jet Boy. I, I even went to Day on the Green to see Jet Boy. And, I'm, uh, you know, it's funny. All these years later, I'm, still, I'm, I'm buds with Billy Rowe. In fact, I've yeah. got um, – I'm friends his, with Billy, too. I've got – yeah, I've got a rock and roll relic strat right behind yeah. me. Uh, of Billy's, so 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 I know that I know I know that we're walking down this path to the future yeah. here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's talk. Let's talk some gear and stuff because okay. uh, you know how did 
how did you go into the gear end of the music industry after, after like all of this or, okay. or whatever? Yeah, we, we skipped all kinds of stuff, but, and you're right. So I auditioned for Ozzy, but you know, we'll skip that. We're not even going to talk. <laughs> about um, no, we'll, we'll probably circle back. And we had all sorts of Ozzy talk in the Jakey Lee episode. Oh my, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so any of that, but that was a drunken debacle. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, we'll keep this. We, we might tilt in the tracks a little bit, we'll, but we'll keep it in on the tracks. Yes. Um, so I, uh, I talked about being a music fan. Then when that's not enough, you're performing music, you're learning the instrument, you're performing. When that's not enough, you're teaching. So I was a guitar teacher all through the 80s. Uh, if I wasn't, you know, making ends meet, um, performing, which you'd never really do. You gotta, you gotta find a way to subsidize. Maybe you're working at a music store, um, and, and teaching. I was doing both. And, uh, a guitar student of mine from the early nineties, we're hanging out now at about 97, 98. And, uh, he gets a hold of me and says, Hey, I've got this thing, digital wireless for a guitar. And he goes, you know how the, any, you know, Nady wireless it has this thing and sure wireless and it has this thing. And, you know, in the nineties wireless was, it was okay. You know, if you're a stadium guy and you, you have to go wireless, well, you've got to deal with the things. Um, so he did a digital wireless and, uh, I went to the factory and I played it and the link worked great. It didn't feel great to play, but it sounded, I mean, it was head and shoulders above uh, anything that was going on with analog wireless at the time. And this buddy of mine, his, his name's Guy Coker, he was a guitar student of mine, great guy. Uh, uh, and so that began, it was totally innocent. I, I had no idea I would endeavor to the gear side. And it started with, you know, him asking me just, you know, to kind of consult and give him my feedback, you know, maybe, be I guess, beta test. I started as a beta tester and um, he opened up the transmitter and I would I would kind of guide him from what I was looking for as a musician. I want it to do this. I want it to do that. Can you make it do this? Can you make it feel like this? So he, he's moving around. <laughs> the things he can move around, one of them being impedance, right? You, you're just you're going into some type of preamp front end that's running on a battery, and so he dials that in, and this is sounding great, and and we're really excited. Now here, all of a sudden, all the years of working in a music store really come forward and provide some value, because I, I asked him an innocent question: How are you going to sell this thing? Because it sounds great now. So you got to work on packaging, but how are you going to sell it? And he reaches behind and he uh, and pulls out a, a stack of cards from a NAMM show he went to two years prior. I said, that's not going to cut it. You're not just going to roll through a bunch of cards here and think you're going to get this thing off the ground. And he goes, well, what do you suggest? And I went home and I wrote a, a, a marketing slash business plan um, just, this is, you know, this is gut instinct. This is just having been around the block working music retail for 15 years that, um, I, I 
apparently wrote a pretty good business plan because when I presented it to the the company, um, it was the owner, owner's wife. Turns out she's the shot caller, and uh, and guy were there, and I made the presentation and. The owner strokes his mustache and says, well, how about we hire you for sales rep Northern California? And I said, I'm not interested. And uh, everybody kind of looks at me, what? You just made this huge presentation and you're not interested in the job we just offer you? I said, not at all. I said, if you want me to do what I know I can do, you need to hire me for, for vice president of sales and marketing. I need to run with this. And... The owner is kind of like blown away, like, who are you? You know, what what nerve do you have? And his wife turns, looks at him, puts her hand across his chest to, to shut him up. And she leans forward and she says, you got the job. And uh, it was a fantastic, uh, the planets aligned because I, 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 uh, I got that company to a million dollars in sales in year one. Uh, probably faster than that. Sennheiser was about to launch Evolution Wireless at the time, and boy, did we spoil what was going to be a wonderful rollout for them. So they bought the company. Uh, Sennheiser bought X-Wire. This company was called X-Wire at the time. Uh, Dave, you were around. You, I'm sure you slopped, slapped some X-Wires in, in some rigs back in the day or certainly Yeah, sucks. and then I remember when it was bought out by Sennheiser. And yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Went to the other packaging, which was great, too. Uh, yeah. So Sennheiser was, you know, who, so I, they, they met because, I, you know, I'm, I'm still a kid, really, for, to, to the owners of X-Wire. They met with Sennheiser, da-da-da, and Sennheiser was like, okay. They assessed the, 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 the situation. It's okay. We're talking to the technical people here. Who was it that was doing the sales? Oh, that was, you know, Jamie. So um, I get brought along, um, they, they make the, the acquisition, and now I get a job at Sennheiser. And um, I thrived, I thrived. Now, now, you know, I'm selling all of Sennheiser's Neumann and pro-distributed products, you know, DAS and Chevin and uh, True, uh, True Audio, I think it was, the Mike Pries. <clears throat> um, Neumann Mike's I mentioned and Sennheiser. And so I'm doing pro audio. Now this is a Northern California rep gig, um, but I did that first spell and then I got bumped up to executive management. So I had uh, really a great career, seven years at Sennheiser. And it was an opportunity to kind of round out my uh, executive or my business skills to just go along with the gut instinct. Uh, and after seven years there, I'm going to have a sip of tea because the alcohol is driving, drying my throat out. Mm. I need more ice. Yeah. So after um, <laughs> seven years at Sennheiser, um, I think to myself, there, there might be some opportunity. Uh, and Guy Coker, is, he's got the itch because he's been, he's been doing electronic EEPROM programmers or whatever, you know. He, he's, uh, he's got a, a non-compete clause to wait out, uh, and that's over. We're barbecuing, and we're daydreaming, and we kind of look at each other and go, it's kind of that let's get the band back together, like, like the Blues Brothers. Like, let's get the band back together. Well, what can we do? I don't know, man. I don't know if digital wireless is going to 
you know, this and that. And so some ideas get exchanged and, and he, um, uh, he decides to pursue wireless in um, a different format. And that's where digital wireless now hits the pedal board. So he developed the uh, X, uh, was it XD95? Uh, it was a foot pedal digital wireless, just, you know, change the delivery, change the packaging. Technology's at the point where he can make it even better. We went from a two rack space quad diversity to putting it inside of a pedal with four antenna inside. It worked fantastic. This time I'm part owner of the company. So I join X2. I'm a part owner, again, doing VP of sales and marketing. And um, I had now some contacts in the industry. So I met up with a guy named Nico, accessories buyer at Guitar Center. And uh, we have a meeting and I make a presentation. He says, this is great. You know, uh, what do you need? I mean, you want a 25, 30, 40 piece order? I said, Nico, no. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to send me back into the factory like freaking Ace Frehley kicked down the doors and his Les Paul is smoking. <laughs> I need to just light everybody up at the factory and really blow these people's minds. And uh, I asked for a $200,000 opening order. And I'll tell you what, I, I got over 100K opening order chain-wide rollout just by asking for it. But we had a good product. And I made a good presentation, and, and uh, they believed in me. You know, it was every every everywhere, every step along my life, somebody took a chance on me. Somebody believed in me, and I've made great things happen every time. And I'm I'm so grateful for those opportunities, um, you know. And I'm I'm I can continue to follow my passion. So that's what got me into that. Now again, well over a million dollars, first year sales. Line six, this is, uh, what, 2009. Uh, they're looking to go public, and they want to really juice up their portfolio. And so um, they decide to make an acquisition, and they're keeping their eyes on on what's out there. And uh, we, we captured their attention, and so they swiftly jumped in, and they bought X2. Um, I spent a year at X2 working uh, with Guy Coker and Marcus Ryle. Uh, Marcus is, you know, Marcus is the guy that brought out the original Axis 212 amplifier, ugly as it was. It was it was foretelling of the future. That was mid-90s. Uh, a lot of folks will remember Marcus from Elisa's. He's, uh, he's the guy that brought us the ADAT. Mm -hmm. I mean, just revolutionary, game-changing stuff. So I got to spend a year working with, with him and Guy uh, at the, um, where's that, uh, where's headquarters there? I can't, I'm, I'm spacing on the name of there. Is it Calabasas or something? Calabasas. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Calabasas. yeah. So I'm spending a lot of time at Calabasas while I, I live in Northern California. I'm pretty much staying down there. Um, I remember there was a sales and marketing, um, uh, well, mar marketing and engineering meeting. We were, they, they were trying to bring all the minds together and I'm at a table with Marcus's, uh, the other main engineer, Michelle, if I pronounce that that right. But uh, he and Marcus had been together for all these years. And I just belch out this great new idea. 
And guys are rolling their eyes, yawn, uh, I don't know, and not really into my idea. And I get up, I walk over to Marcus, I go, can you find me a freaking engineer that can do something? And Marcus was like the whole building went silent. Because <laughs> he's a co-founder, and I don't know whose who's, uh, bed I just pissed in. Uh, so Marcus goes, well, you happen to be sharing a table with my best guy. Uh, but I knew at that point that I was probably going to be heading a different direction. And and you know what? It's it's really great because yeah, we can all yuck it up now. Um, but um, I so I it was I finished out my one year contract and um, I was at the point where I really wanted to do something professionally that made my heart sing. And so I was talking to Mark on our kind of precursor phone call earlier in the week to test the mic that um, I remembered fondly of how it made me feel to teach guitar, to get somebody excited at fingering and executing a part that they thought prior to learning it was impossible. So connecting somebody from impossible to possible really made my heart sing. And uh, I thought that I had a future in uh, online guitar lessons. And it turns out that's a huge industry and it would have been 2009. So it wouldn't have been too late to start, but obviously it's quite congested now and yet there's a lot of people thriving. Um, And so while I thought that was what I was gonna do, I had a couple of nickels to rub together from selling X2 to to line six. So I, I have the time to figure out really what I want to do. Uh, my mom, uh, um, I lost my mom 10 years ago. Uh, she, she was ill, but we got to spend a few weekends together before she passed. And I remember when I'd come visit, I, I knew she didn't feel good, but when I was coming over, she kind of, she, she kind of bared into it and, and really kind of woke up, you know, she, she gave me the goods and I gave it back and lots of hugs and lots of happiness. And, and, uh, um, she wanted me to just be happy. Um, she didn't know what that was, you know, going to be, but she encouraged me to, to, you know, find happiness and do, do what's going to make me happy. And so, you know, I'm thinking guitar lessons. And so I shot a video, uh, I've never released it. But the video is me teaching Van Halen Eruption. No surprise, right? If you're going to do your first lesson, why not go for <laughs> First one, right out the gate. Yeah, you, you go for the top of the mountain. So, uh, But the, the approach to Eruption, to me as a musician, it, it's not the notes. It's three things. It's tone, it's attitude, and technique. You have to have all three. That's where a great performance happens. That's when it's memorable. As... Uh, you know, a complete 180. Kurt Cobain had tone, attitude, and technique. He could play good enough and had a tone just gnarly enough that he could con- convey uh, with his attitude to make a great performance. Eddie had obviously technical prowess and the brown sound, and uh, and uh, and the te- technique to just you know blow up the instrument. He had a guy named David Lee Roth, who was probably his biggest marketing machine ever. (laughs) Edward Van Halen. Anyway, so I do this lesson. Real quickly, Delano, just just want to mention we have two uh, super chats. Um, Oh, cool. I want to get to those. 
Dave, I, I didn't see the first one. Do you have the first one? Uh, the first one is back in the chat. Uh, uh, basically, Steve Rayburn. Uh, can you ask Delana how the hybrid master circuit works compared to other master volumes? Those amps sound great. Thanks, y'all. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yes, so it is. Uh, there is a patent for it. You, If you're technically inclined, you can uh, find the patent and certainly read, and there's a circuit diagram. Um, what I did, uh, I remember uh, Mitch Gallagher Sweetwater, you, you know Mitch. Uh, I loaned Mitch an American Dream amplifier. He plugged in and he just flipped out. I'd never heard somebody so happy with one of my amplifiers. And I think I've got it in the bag. Gonna be in Sweetwater, gonna sell Mitch an amplifier, it's great. Two weeks later, I check in, da da da, da da da. Oh, your amp's so great. But you know, I ended up buying the Three Monkeys. And I'm thinking, what the hell happened? I mean, that's great for three monkeys. It sucks for me. Uh, they got they got a three in their name. Uh, so he said, your amp's too loud. And I'm, I'm one of those, you know, a lot of people like to win, but I'm one of those people that hates to lose. And so I, I said to myself, this is the last time I lose a sale because I'm too loud. Uh, and so... I busted my ass and came up with the hybrid master circuit. And in essence, uh, Dave will will know this as well. I if, know you, this. if you <laughs> if you up the voltage to your preamp section, you can make an amplifier appear a little more sensitive and a little more breathy, right? right. Depending on what you're doing with, with with your biasing of each gain stage. But you know, sometimes you can you can get an amp to sit right in the sweet spot by changing out some power resistors earlier and up the uh, the preamp voltage. Well, radically. I, well, oh, absolutely. I mean, depending. I always say it's like too low, it's fuzzy. Uh, it, right in the sweet spot, it's great. Yep. Too high, it's too pushed, too yeah. brash. Yeah, uh, exactly. So um, I just really started playing around. I tried a, a, a typical master volume pot in various parts of the circuit, different values, different loading on, on the circuits. To So I, every place I tried, it's like, okay, well, this works for 15% of the, of the action. Then after that, I'm not satisfied. It certainly makes the volume go down, and it might even sound good, but I was looking for a full experience where it felt good too. And uh, one of the things I did was I came up with a way to um, utilize some master volume circuit, and uh, but only with very limited range of that action. So for the 15, 20% where, where it sounds good and I'm not suffering the feel difference, but I also uh, tied it to the cathode of the phase inverter and if you take a cathode down in the phase inverter, you'll uh, basically make the phase inverter run less efficient. One of the byproducts of that is the phase inverter, where you mentioned if you go too cold, it'll start to crunch. Mm -hmm. There's that point where you can take it a little cold as you're turning it down, and it provides some offset. And while you're- Kind of while the headroom to the phase inverter, so. And while you're doing it, I'm upping the preamp voltage 
So everything, uh, as, as I'm taking it down here, I'm playing with two areas where it increases the sensitivity. It's kind of like the old, um, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it, this approach came natural to me because again, I was in the wireless industry. We deal with limited bandwidth and you've got to shove a lot of information through a small pipe to make wireless work and sound right. So they use a compander, right? You, you compress it, send it over, expand it. So as I was compressing or, or bringing, the, bringing it down in one place, I'm finding ways to blow it up to offset that. So uh, I came up with this, I guess it's just an analog algorithm. You know, as this happens, this happens, and, and you create uh, a circuit where it remains predictable. And I've done updates on Hybrid Master over the last seven, eight years. Yeah, it works quite well. And that's uh, that's the most technical answer I've ever gone on record to giving. But yeah, it's a complex circuit, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty clever. Uh, I've had another, I did have an amp designer read the patent and call me, he goes, hats off to you. Simple ass circuit, clever as hell and works great right on. So uh, that that's Hybrid Master. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And then the other, we'll get back to your story. Definitely want to get back. Um, sure. Bulldozer Guitar also had a super chat. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, he says, Dave, what is a great sounding Strat bridge pickup for a hard rock tone? I'm thinking one with a full bottom end with more relaxed top end. Still want the quack in position too, and you hate our show. Well, hopefully, hopefully you like the show. Hate the show. Yeah, I hate joking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you're talking about a traditional style Strat pickup um, and not a hum canceling or blade or something like that. Oh, that's tough. Um, you know, still some of my favorite single coils, uh, traditional single coils that are made are from one of two companies. Um, so my my friends at uh, Wade, my friend at Motor City Guitar, make some amazing single coils that you can get. One one set's called a Woodward set. Another set is called um, um, Motor City Funk, which is El Nico 2 set. Um, he can wind the bridge pickup to be a little hotter and it'll give you a little more rock out of it. Um, other than that, Lindy Fraylin single coils have always been amazing. That was my And again, you can overwind a bridge pickup to give you the little more rock that you're looking for. Now, this is if you're talking about, um, you know, a, a traditional strap pickup. And yeah. if, if you're not, then why? That's really wide open. There's a lot of them. No, I think you're you're dead on. I mean, Wade makes great pickups of Motor, Motor City, and then Lindy Fraylin have always always made great pickups. Oh, Lindy Fraylin is the king of Strat, you know. Yeah, so, just like just, just great just, tones. Almost anything, anything. Just yeah, give me that. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's and he's still still doing them. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So sorry, Delana. So. Um, that's okay. I, I love the questions. I learned something too. Awesome. I make pickups also, but I, I, I love hearing the, the, the anecdotes and the knowledge that other people share. So you make, yeah, you make single coils as well? Yeah, I do si singles and, and hums. Uh, I do a thing called magfrag. Uh, in, in the case of, uh, of a humbucker, instead of the standard bar magnet, I, I do three chips. So imagine three 
pieces that are about as wide as two strings. Mm -hmm. So I use Alnico 2s under the high E and B. I use an Alnico 4 under the G and D, and an Alnico 5 under the E and A. That makes total sense. Oh, uh, yeah. (laughs) If if you want one, I'll send you one. It's... uh, it's like a mastered record flying out of your guitar because each thing is doing what it's meant to do. In yeah, the you, got your, you, you have your sweet top end for El Nico 2 for your high strings. Yep. On the low strings, you got the cut of El Nico 5, and so it has that edge and smack. Yep. And, and uh, well, 4 is kind of a little in between, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, for the it makes chords fly open. What, what I loved about it is technique becomes expression versus necessary you know okay i have to hold back because this is going to bite everybody's heads off when i get up top Mm -hmm. or if i want to dig in here i have to play harder to get the note to read now shifts in technique and attack is all expression because the instrument just feels linear all over especially dave this is the biggest deal on the neck position because we could design we could take any neck pickup if we dial the amp in It'll sound great. We go to the bridge pickup. Holy hell, that doesn't work. Right. Vice versa, dial it in with the bridge, go to the neck, and you're dealing with like this is what my neck pickup sounds like. Magfrag's ends ends all that. Yeah, my magfrag necks will pow, pair up with anybody else's you know flavor of humbucker that they want. But they'll get the whole instrument back versus pick your half that you're going to play on, and that's it. So um, anyhow, I appreciate the opportunity to share the the magfrag story. That's awesome. That's yeah, I do a single coil also with with a two, four, and five sp- spread out across those strings. But those are slugs, and people do slugs. But you know how much wind you put on the coil, of course. What kind of wire? How much air you put in there? Traverse or you know scatter and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I make singles for an HH HSS. Try to say that after a couple of bourbons. Uh, <laughs> But I make singles that will pair up great with that as, as your bridge position. So, you know, cats running with their hot rotted sirs and stuff like that. Might might like to check that out. Cool. Cool. Uh, Dan Pfeiffer, thanks for the super chat. This is Delana and Dave. I have an original JCM 800 that needs to be retubed. Price is no object. What are the best preamp and power tubes available? Oh boy. Yeah. Price no object. Well, well, I'm going to get some ISO on that question. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Price no object. Price no object. Oh, my gosh. I mean, do you Let's do you think- want tubes that, that are made currently, or do you want, yes. you know, that, that's vintage where I would holy grail? So, uh, I mean, uh, if current tubes, you don't have a lot of choices for the L34s. Yeah. At least that work. For a long period of time, um, we've been down this path, and I'm sure Dan, you've heard of me on the show before. Uh, I use a lot of EL34, so at this point, I really know what works or doesn't work. Um, so, you know, uh, for production, we chose to use the EH EL34s because they appear to be the most reliable out there. And frankly, they sound really good. They sound sound like a slim bottle, semen type, uh, you know, uh, EL34. Um, you know, honorable mention, much more expensive, tongue sole uh, EL34 sound kind of cool. A little different, though, not as traditional. Um, 
Can JJ's uh, reliable? Yeah, I, I do use the JJ E34L because it has a kick in the ass like a 6L6, and it has a pseudo mid-range like an EL. It's it's really neither of those tubes, but it sits somewhere in there. Well, I did like it until, um, until you get maybe 300 sets of tubes that fail. Oh, ouch. So... <laughs> So I, I probably pay a lot more for my tubes. I'm buying them from CE, and I'm getting the Apex. Yeah, that didn't matter. It didn't? Okay. Maybe, well, maybe they fixed their issues now, but, I mean, you know, give or take two years ago. Yeah. Uh, a, a year ago, uh, we went through every tube vendor possible for the, the JJ uh, Tesla, and all of them had the same issues. Wow. They work fine. They test fine. They ship out. They fine. Then... One day, the guy just flips the amp on. Red plate. Pop. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Not the red plate. Yeah. Red plate, basically, blow the fuse. Yeah, um, exactly. You hear a hum, boom, and boom, gone. It can, uh, uh, the tubes we used before were the Chinese TAD EL34s. Okay. Which sounded good, but and relatively worked. Uh, but the problem is when those fail... They had sh uh, dead shorts, and when it dead short, it takes out tube sockets. Yeah, just scorching yeah. the tube sockets. So those went away. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, there's something I like about the Mullard reissue EL34. However, I don't like it. Every once in a while, you get a set that lasts a while. Yeah. But, um, I found that it it had a nice chimey top end. And uh, and it compressed. If you ran it in its window, uh, it had a really great uh, compression. I used that tube on the British Dream amp uh, and the Dual Citizen because uh, British Dream had an AC30 channel with an EF86. Same yeah. with the Dual Citizen. And what I found was I was able to, yeah, it, it, you can create the the illusion of being British and and kind of copying that Marshall Plexi thing. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of that AC30 mm -hmm. thing with that particular tube. I don't know if, if you want it to, depending, I guess, on the plate. What's the plate voltage on this JCM800? I mean, oh, this, that's probably about 440. Okay. So the, that, that tube. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on, I, I guess, for, to answer the, 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 the question, if you want it to wallop, uh, Dave, you'll probably know which one. If you want it to kind of have its ass drop down and dig in and kind of grunt a little bit with a spray top, that that Mullard would would do uh, a nice thing. The other ones that you know you can speak to those preamp tubes now. What what are we going to get this guy? Oh boy, that's a whole nother issue. You know that's what? I, even now, a worse issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I, I buy a crap ton of the JJ ECC 83S, the Spiral. Uh, but you know what? They, they sound, the sound is all over the map. But yeah. it, it's, I sell a, a multi-voiced amplifier. So I'll listen to them and go, okay, this is definitely going woolly coats because it sounds American. Oh, this is creamy. This works for that AC30 uh, flavor I have in the clean sink. And then some just sound rude and pissed off and belong in a Marshall. But fortunately, I sell enough of these multi-voices that I can utilize it. But I don't know. I, I like the TAD 7025 in uh, the original third power HLH, which was very 
Marshall cascaded channel inspired, but I never could get uh, consistency noise floor wise. I would get one great tube and, and then a, a, a pie, I could order a dozen and one's usable and the rest can maybe go in a tone stack somewhere. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, generally speaking, um, for preamp tubes and Marshalls, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the Chinese preamp tube yeah. um, in general, uh, although there are none anymore right now. The factory is shut, and they had a fire, and we don't know when we're getting them back. We as a company bought thousands of them. Okay. Um, so now what? <laughs> yeah. We use those in our, basically in the cathode follower and because they'll work all the time, the phase inverter and then the front end tubes, we use JJ, okay. uh, because of high gain. Yeah. You're down. using a short plate there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the standard old, uh, yeah. Standard old one. And, yeah, but- um, not my favorite, uh, but it works. Yeah. Um, and frankly, UAB two amps with the two different sets of tubes, you can probably turn the knobs so they sound identical. Yeah. Hey, phase inverter. Um, I have tried everything, and I landed on the uh, Sovtech LPS twelve X LPS. That's a wonderful tube at the phase inverter, yeah. and it it gives it, it. I mean, everything just freaking flies out of the amp if you. Yeah, pump I it agree. I, I I agree. In the phase inverter, that's really good. The problem that we're gonna have now, that the problem with the JJs that I use on the front end is, um, they just uh, one day up and decide to die. They oh. just uh, you know just stop working one day for no reason. Just uh, that's their problem. I get people with. I just got the amp and it was working, and then I turned it on the next day, and the overdrive channel doesn't work. Oh, yeah. change V1 preamp tube. Oh yeah, it works uh, now. Okay, there we go. You know, for the first six years, and his amp d- doesn't call for a tube rectifier, but for the first six years of third power, I refused to put a tube rectifier in the amp. I tried uh, like crazy to just really dial in the amp to have that bounce. But somewhere around 2016, 2015, being here in Nashville, I, I had I had to dip into the other side and and put put an amp with a tube rectifier on there. So I put it on a switch, standby in the middle, tube rectifier down, solid state rectifier up. But I'll tell you what, the the second I put tube rectifiers and amplifiers was the beginning of my amps taking a shit. And it's always about the tube rectifier. <laughs> I, I I hate it. Uh, but generally and I try- speaking, yes. So, so which which is the lesser? Uh, first of all, <laughs> never use a JJ tube rectifier, ever. Oh, okay. Is that what you're using? Well, the GZ34 has been the one that's been most consistent lately. I was using this Chi- uh, the Chinese, uh, and well, they oh, were consistent, and then they're not. And yes, then exactly. Sonic one. And the and the brown base Chinese. Oh my God! Was it a, a delicious? T- it was like putting a tube compressor inside your amplifier. Yeah, it's but, good. Yeah, it's fantastic. But dang! And then I started having them come apart. Where so one day the the tube is dangling from from the brown base. So it was like, <laughs> okay, well that's a no go. Uh, so if somebody blows a fuse, I say replace the fuse and and finish the show on uh, on the solid state rectifier. Anyhow, I'm gonna go back to Dan. 
Dan's uh, thing about that retube. I, I, yeah. if, if money no object, and we're talking NOS, um, personally, in your 800, if you can get a great set, a, a, a set of old uh, Seaman EL34s, German, awesome, uh, fantastic. In the preamp, though, I still say Chinese. Maybe uh, a, a Muller uh, preamp tube in the very first slot. Old, old Muller. Right. You know. And you might find those branded Brymar. I, I yeah. have half dozen or more yes, uh, Muller Telefunken and Brymars that, yeah. that are all with that. Uh, Mullers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Blackburn code. Oh, yeah. I have some Brymars also. So they're actually Mullers or? Yeah, they are. They're Brymar branded, but they're made in the Blackburn factory. Huh. Well, if they're if they're Blackburn coded, there was other factories, but uh, they they would typically you'll know with the code what uh, I forget the lettering, but there's a uh, there's a couple of di there's a couple of letters followed by some some uh, numerals, and that'll yeah. tell you basically the lot and what factory. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, the thing the thing that's most important to remember about NOS tubes, no guarantees that if you're going to buy a preamp tube and put it in the first microphonic spot, it won't be microphonic or noisy. Uh, you have to weed through just like any tube uh, in that spot. And, you know, you might spend a bunch of money and they say it's tested and all that. Yeah, well, it's tested to work. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll work, but it'll be, it'll be ping. <laughs> I, I gotta so, imagine it's tough sledding chasing down tubes now. I remember trying to chase down tubes in '98, '99. Uh, do you know Bill Crenard from Two Rock? Uh, I know of him. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, I, I lived in Petaluma, and Two Rock was, you know, Katati, Petaluma area over there. Um, I used to swap tubes and shoot the shit with Bill, but it's. I mean, this was back in the late '90s, and it was hard to get tubes then. So. This new old stock, you know, chase now, that's that's crazy. It's hard to find. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good uh, question, though. Fantastic. Yeah, we've got one more uh, super chat from Purposeful Porpoise. How you doing? How do y'all? He says, on a super lead, what would be... Oh, by the way, thanks for the super chat. On a super lead, what would be the sonic difference between variacking to 90 volts without rebiasing re versus 90 volts with dime bias, if any, would there be any difference it's been bugging me? Hmm. Well, I mean, what would be the difference of having your bias running cold in a normal voltage or, or uh, you know, where it should be? I mean, it's gonna, there's going to be more crossover distortion. It's going to be colder sounding. Uh, it, it might work fine. Uh, if you if you use a variac and you want to bias the amplifier for the variac, which is what I would recommend, that's great. Where you're getting this um, diming the bias that that was the Eddie thing. So so he just like turned it all the way up, but turning it all the way up at full voltage and then variacing it down hits it around 50 milliamps. But you know, there's only about 350 odd some volts to the plate voltage, so that's perfectly fine. Um, that is a lot of sustain and a lot of compression and a lot of gain doing it that way, and it sounds really great. And that and that is actually part of the way to set up an old super lead to do that Van Halen thing. 
I don't know if I've ever heard that little tidbit mentioned ever. I've never read on any of the old Metropolis yes. or any there's a, there's a thing that is it, he, is it written out there? Well, well, he always is a guy that would always mess with a knob, and if there was a okay. knob that could go up or different way, <laughs> he he'll turn it that way. Okay, so that's glowing, just, glowing let's just put it there. If good. if it can go to eleven, it's going to go to eleven. How, how many people stuck forks in their tube sockets? Because oh, <laughs> um, so. So when I was restoring his amplifier, um, I had read a bunch of articles and a bunch of things and a bunch of stuff that didn't totally make sense, but some of it, but some of it did. And he said in a couple articles, he did that. He you know, would, would just go in the amp and just turn the bias all the way up. What does that mean to a layman? That doesn't mean much. But what it meant was it, he, you know, he was running the current way hot in the tubes, and you know, but he was using a variac. So, okay, that's okay. Um, yeah, he limited the DC. But uh, what and, and, I read, something interesting I read, um, there was an article with Rudy Laren years ago, and they said something about the amps being biased to 80. And I'm like, 80. Well, approximately normal wall voltage on one of these super leads, if you bias it to 80 at normal wall voltage and drop it in the variac, it gets you about 50. And if you okay. do the calculations on that, that's about right. Um, because the play voltage is so low, it's, it's fine. And 68.7s can totally take that, old Sylvania 68.7s. And if you set up an amp that way, literally, you wall voltage, you bias it to 80, and if you drop it to 90 on the variac, you read 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 the uh, thing, and it'll be roughly 50. <laughs> I'm going to try that. Once you figure that out <laughs> on an old Super League, Grant, you know, once you figure that out, you're like, wow, this has more compression, more sustain, seemingly more gain everything and has seemingly more has a squishier feel because of the lower voltages but but the bias is up and it, it that that's a that's a major thing major thing how to set it up yeah okay yeah. cool that's great i i learned something that's that's killer i love that also probably there's some speculation on this but probably the negative feedback was off the four ohm tap and there's question whether it's a 100K or a 47K resistor in the main amp. Um, so both, it's, it's flying open if, if it's, it's flying off. open, but with the bias like this and everything else. And then yeah. there's one other little trick. I'll, there's one other little trick we'll talk about later. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back. You know, to I've you. got a set of 76 CA7s somewhere in the shop. I've, I've got uh, a little box of my, yeah, I've got, well, it's only a pair. So uh, I, I can't run a hundred water on that, but I do have a pair of seventies, sixty-eight sevens. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, I was told also, and and here's the thing that also made sense. So you set the amp like that, right? And if you decide to turn the variac up, what's going to happen to those tubes? They're gone. They're melting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those legendary stories of the tubes melting and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And <laughs> the other thing that Rudy Laren told me 
was originally when they were doing all this in the archaic days early on, it's just like if a tube red plated or went, they just shoved one other tube in its spot out of the box that are not matched, just shove it in. Yeah. Go. Keep it going. And, and then they have more problems and they have more problems and all these problems. They blow up output transformers and things like this. And uh, they stopped having those problems when Jose decided uh, that it would be a good idea to match the tubes. Mm. So he made them match sets of tubes so they would replace the whole thing. So they wouldn't have these issues. Because, you know, one tube is here and one tube is here. And, and it, yeah. it, one's going to red plate and you're going to blow up transformers. You're going to do all sorts of damage. It's like riding Mark a bicycle with, with the left the left pedal this far and the right one here. And you just keep loping, yeah. uh, you know, the tubes are on. Hey, now speaking of Jose, I, I, I know somebody I can't. Uh, you know what? It's my buddy Jimmy from Mental Case. He was telling me Jose actually worked on. Hey, wait. Sean huh? Rory is on on the chat. Sean Rory. Sean Rory. Well, I, I I had a, a conversation with him earlier this week. So I've uh, we hadn't talked in a little bit, but it was great to catch up. See all the people we get to meet during hope, a pandemic. I hope you're, I hope you're uh, a feeling or healing better or feeling better, Sean. Cool. Um, so did Jose work on? Uh, did he service or mod Beatles amplifiers? Did he did he do something for the Beatles? I heard he did work for Vox. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you know what? Someone actually, I recently uh, someone said something about. Wait, I mean, that's going Vox. back. Work for Ampeg. Work for Ampeg, okay. not Vox. Sorry. I don't think the Beatles. Well, I'm not really sure about the Beatles, but uh, he's uh, appears in some. Uh, Stone's live documentary somewhere or some show or something as an amp tech, like in the background somewhere. Someone I just read this and someone just told me about this. I, I have to actually try to try to figure out where I heard that and <laughs> you know if I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But he was he was ahead of his time. That's for sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that video that you did with Keith Thorne was great. Oh yeah, the Steve Steve I had. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a classic. That, that that's one of those nuggets that people are going to still be blown away watching that ten years from now. That that was a great video. Yeah. Yes, and I, I just actually had the pleasure of also getting John Sykes amp through the shop. Oh, okay. So, you know, after that video, actually. Wow. <laughs> so is, are, are, do, do we have a uh, John Sykes amp uh, video to look forward to? Is this a thing? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> we should do a thing. I, I was actually, I, when, I saw, when, I, when I saw Pete's video, I thought to myself, man, why didn't we do that video? <laughs> you know, I was like, they've had yeah. that amp. We should have done that video. Um, but no, that was a great video by Pete. So maybe we should. The funny thing that you know, you know, that whole mod was sort of just, uh, you know, sort of developed to capture the sound of a cranked super lead on ten at a lower volume. Yeah, it's all... I mean that's really how it was sort of developed. You know, it's fantastic. And but just the basic one is is not a lot of gain. Uh, I, but the the later ones, the ones that are higher gain, were. 
You know, I had the Guitar Player magazine with the first Steve Vai. You know, they used to put a little floppy record. Uh, yeah. Shaped yeah, like a, yeah I, I had that. Flexible uh, Yeah, it, well, it was called Flexible. Yeah, yeah that was the yeah. tune, right? right? Yeah, right. I, I had that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I, I distinctly remember having that, too. Yeah. It got like three plays sounding good, and then it got worse. <laughs> the, more, <laughs> the more the needle drove th- right through that uh, that little uh, vinyl. But you know what? It was effective. Blew my mind. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get back. So you let you you started after you left line six. Uh, yeah, I left line six. You know, and this this impacted me. Um, so we got you know the, the time with mom. Everybody. I mean, we, I, I'm getting older. I want to speak for you guys, but I have lost both my parents at at this point. There comes a time when we go from we have our parents to we're it. And in the case where we have kids, we're there. We're their thing. And eventually, you know, we'll we'll drop off the. Uh, I guess it's like shark teeth, right? We'll fall off one day and be replenished by, by the backside, but we won't be here anymore. Um, so, you know, relish those times with your parents while, while they're still here. And, and I did that and I was with mom doing this. And so I shot this video and I sent um, a buddy of mine, Brad Stevens. He works at the time. He worked for two turbo sound uh, and he's a guitar player uh, great guy. I sent him my my video eruption. Hey, I'm gonna do guitar lessons. Really? <laughs> and he watched the video. He goes, great, great lesson. He goes, damn. Because I had a segment where I talked again. It was tone, attitude, and technique. So I broke down the riff. I broke down the to- the, the tone of the riff and and the the attitude. So you get the technique of it. You have to play it like you're kicking the freaking gymnasium doors open and you're just bursting through. That's the, you have to play Van Halen. Van Halen doesn't play nice. Van Halen yeah. is destroying the guitar with a pick hand that's like a jackhammer. Um, there's demos of him playing on a clean amp, warming up before <laughs> before a show or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? There's Steven a new- Stephen Rosen, have you ever heard the Stephen Rosen interview? And uh, it's not ringing a bell, but well, I might. The same thing. There's an interview. Yeah, it's a like Stephen Rosen interview. This is for Van Halen Two era. Okay. Yeah, and he's talking about he's playing either through a clean amp or just acoustically with an electric guitar. That's right. And he's talking about with Stephen about the new record and new riffs and stuff, and he starts playing pieces of the record completely clean no no nothing bare and every harmonic pick squeal everything that he does that you're associated comes popping right off the fretboard yeah and he's not it's playing friendly complete. no he's not paying nice yeah no he's you know i, I I read somewhere, I mean, Pete Towns, if you want to look for an influence for, for Eddie and, and some of that ferocity, um, you know, some people, I remember Jimi Hendrix would make love to his guitar and, uh, or excuse me, Pete, Pete tried to do what Jimi Hendrix actually did, but Pete was more, um, he was more physically brutal or something. Uh, but Eddie's just flat out, he can play that instrument in a very brutal way in, in the early days. Um, and his tone and th- was, that had to be yeah. part of his sound too, to just drive it over the edge. Mm-hmm. I have, I know nothing about his pickups, so I'd, I'd love to get your input on what his pickups were like back back then. But to the story, what what, what they weren't. I mean, what, like, <laughs> I, 
I heard only one for one shoved in a million different guitars. So I, I, I don't know if there's any definitive. Yeah. And, and he recorded with so many different guitars also. I mean, like the old Les Paul, like a, a Destroyer, yeah. this, that, uh, Flying V, you know. So some of, and you listen to the records and you're like, well, that doesn't really sound much different than that. I mean, oh, wait, it's his hands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I send this video out to Brad, uh, and I send it to a couple more buddies of mine, a couple of guitar students. And you know what? There's a buddy of mine that we both know, mutually know, Lance Wascom, former Tour Supply, Larry Martin. Uh-huh. Uh, Lance and I are buddies, and I send him a copy of this, this video. And immediately I'm getting, hey, the, the lesson's great. Love it. It's great. It, it present, you're presenting these this thing and you're breaking it apart. But tell me about this. And tell me what's going on there. And um, Lance is responsible for uh, my beginning. He he said, I, I love the tone. Uh, we've got a unique opportunity at Tour Supply. And uh, we'd like you to fly out and do a presentation. So right, uh, that was the, uh, Dave, that's right around when I met you. I had the tritone prototype head yes. with the recycled, it, it, it was recycled Marshall Transformer. It was a 68 Plexi that I had done, you know, all, all, all of my stuff to at that point, certainly inspired. Uh, that amp w- went on to be called the HLH 100. HLH stood for health, love, and happiness. I, I was on this you know, this inspiration from mom of finding happiness and the balance of, again, threes, health, love, and happiness and tone, attitude, and technique. And and my cabinets, I took a 412 and and I wasn't getting the sound I wanted out of it. I told this to Mark the other day. I drew a 412 in the Illustrator and I put the four speakers in there and I deleted one. So I had a 412 with three in it. So I moved the one speaker over to the middle and I grabbed the corners of the cabinet. I was like, oh my God. There's a triangle. And then I looked at it and I go, okay, well, where am I going to put the head? And that's the biggest joke. Yeah. It was meant to, it, it, it was originally a, just a concept thing. And so I said, well, if I take this triangle, there's nowhere to put the amp. But if I put another triangle next to it and I flip one over, I can put the head down. And then I said, well, I've got three cabinets there in the space or the width of two. Because mm-hmm. I used to run, when I played with, um, I was in a band called uh, Road Crew with Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses uh, just right after. I was the I was in with Sean Rory. You mentioned him. He and I were in the lawsuit band. Uh, they they had to prop Stephen up and make him look employable. So they built a rock band and and Sean and I were in it. Uh, and we helped Stephen win his lawsuit. And we happened to make a lot of great music. Uh, spent a lot of money. It was uh, we had a. We had a grocery store credit card, and we had an open account at Guitar Center. Oh, it was it was pretty fucking crazy back then. Huh. Um, so I was running Wet Dry Wet. Um, you know who wasn't? If you could in the eighties and nineties, you you definitely were, and I I was one of those. So here's this triangle cab, proof of concept. You know, bass traps in the corners, and it really allowed the mid range to come alive in the box. So with the mid range so articulate, um, I could do mods in the amp, and now these little moves in the amp, different coupling caps, you know, sound different. But you know, through a 412 at a certain volume, it's like, eh, do I like the Mallory? Or the Mallory? Do I like the 
the orange drop, well, this and that, and the nuances. You know, I even bought all those. Uh, what was oh sozo caps? Mm-hmm. You know, certain volumes. I think I could hear what the sozo cap was doing. You get this point where it's like it kind of all gets blurry. As soon as I went to the triangle, I could literally hear every change, and that's where um, I think that that kind of kicked in where I could take all the aspects, all the other experiences that I had in life, uh, and, and then start to apply it there. Um, so Lance reacted. I came down. James Lugo was doing the the um, was it the high game amp, amp shootout. I yeah, heard the first it. one. Yeah. yeah, I heard about it a week before it happened. I called, uh, said, "Hey, can I can I you know tag along?" And he said, "Yeah." You and I met Reinhold. I remember. Hey, I'm spacing on on his name, but he's a cool dude. Uh, me and you and him and and the gang went and got some food. He he did the. Is he still doing scumbag speakers? What was his name? Jim Seaball. Yeah. Yeah. Is he is he still in the biz? Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in, in I, it's been a good two, three, four years since I talked to Jim, but uh, he was there. Where did uh, we go? Did we go to Kung Pao Kitty? It, we didn't go far. So wherever we went, it was kind of around the corner, kind of dinery. Not, uh, it wasn't like incredible food. It certainly, <laughs> it didn't. Well, it, I remember that night. I remember that night at Judge Lugo's. I, I don't know if it was actually before I went or okay. not to this place that existed in Hollywood at the time called Kung Pao Kitty, mm. which they had absinthe martinis. Mm. And uh, and uh, I remember having a few of those, and those were uh, those were quite. Delicious. <laughs> yes. Yes. Floating okay. down the walkway to James's later. Yeah. You know what? What stuck out? You know, I, I'm, I'm this dude with a dream. I just lost my mom. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I got a couple dollars, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. You know, earlier that year, I had called. I tried to. Uh, Get a job at a, uh, well, I called Two Rock for a gig. I was like, I want to get in the amp business. After mom died, I was going to go ahead. I, I, it, so now I'm thinking about doing this amp business. And I, it was prior to talking to Lance. I, I'm thinking about this and that. And I called my buddy over at Two Rock. Um, Bill's not available. Uh, so Joe's on the phone with me and Joe said, well, what you been up to? And da, da, da. No, I just sold my last business to Line 6. And he pivoted right from me trying to get a job to him selling me the company. So I called, <laughs> I called saying, I just want to sweep up. I just want to, you know, I want to follow my dreams and and just get in on this to uh, him trying to sell me uh, to Rock in, in the late 2000s. Um, but I could, uh, you know, a repair shop wouldn't even, uh, wouldn't take a chance on me. I even uh, sent a resume to Fender, HR, I mean, phone calls, no, no, nobody. And then Lance, out of the blue, yeah. I love what I'm hearing. Da, da, da. We had this rapport from back when I was in XWire and X2 because they were, they were one of our better dealers. So I come out, I make the presentation, and uh, Lance says, we want in. And I mean, it was just somebody saying, okay, I, I, we believe in you. And so Lance wants in. Lance, uh, wonderful. He, he can be a tough guy uh, business-wise, but on a human level, the, the guy was absolutely uh, golden to me. He paid to move my family to Nashville. He picked out the house. We were looking for, you know, oh, well, we think we can afford this. And I says, no, 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 I'm not going to have you there. You're not going to have you and your kids over in this place. I'm going to move you over here 
few blocks from me. He went and picked out the house and he made sure my, my salary was enough to cover that. And he, he paid to move us across the country and we started, um, out of the gate. I mean, we got some really great tours. Uh, we, we jumped on with Simon Townsend with, with Roger Daltrey, right? 2000 was it 2010. I think that happened. Um, some really great things who had amps on, on Grammys. Uh, Lenny Kravitz was one of the biggest, uh, the biggest tour. They built their entire stage set for the uh, Black and White America was the record, and it was 2012 or 13. The entire stage set was nothing but triangle props and a triangle light show, and they had two, three tall pyramids on both sides. Most of those cabs were active, many uh, were bass. And uh, so there was some 115 bass triangles, by the way, that triangle technology works even better for bass. Uh, it's very, very focused and very, uh, it's very deliberate on what you're getting. So whatever you design, that triangle cab, it's going to, it's going to. It's just hard to balance the head on top. What's that? So it's just hard to balance the head on top. Yeah, you can't balance it. Yeah, <laughs> you you got to have a big boy rig where you can really do a stack. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was a proof of concept that ended up being, uh, some of us are old enough to remember the old commercial in the seventies. All right. Go back to television. You get this tropical, a wave rolls up and you see the palm trees, you see this kind of, uh, whatever bamboo table. And then you see this Coke glass come out. And you see this hand come out and turn it over. So the Coke glass gets turned upside down and this clear soda comes in and it says seven up the uncola. <laughs> and uh, so the, the triangle cap was our uncola moment. Yeah. It was our seven up moment. It was, here's this, like, what the heck are they? Yeah, oh, what? It, it, it's like caught the eye. It caught the eye. The amp sounded great. How do you, wait, what? And yeah. it was visually appealing. Yes. Uh, it looked cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it definitely it made a statement. Yes. Um, now that lives on. If somebody wants a triangle cabinet, we, we can absolutely still make it. But uh, to this day, my 212 cabinet is two triangles, but flipped over. So we have two isolated chambers, base trap in, 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 the, in the cab. So we have two triangle isolated to so the 212, true stereo. But it's got two triangle chambers. My 112 has a triangle embedded inside what would look like. So we, we gain the utility, but we embed the technology. And you know what? I, I have a prototype and I've totally proven this. I don't know. You guys, I can't see me, but right behind me, I have what looks like a standard 412. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, let me draw this for you uh, and I'll hold this up. So... Um, Standard 412, can you guys see that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, if I cut, that's this works. This isn't vaporware. All right, so what do I have here? I have two 212s, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just, for, for now, going to draw a couple of, what do I have now? Four 112s, right? Yeah. I can address this as four channels of audio, or let's address the bottom as a mono 212 and the top as a left and right stereo feed, and let's sure. get wet, dry, wet mm -hmm. out of one enclosure. Yeah, sure. 
I got it right there. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, wet, dry, wet is, I, we still to this day, oh, I wish I had a wet, dry, wet rig. Yeah, I mean, that's, Somebody, that's awesome to have that in one. I, I, yeah, I got it right there. And uh, I've never released it on the market, but um, if guys want a wet, dry, wet in, in a in a one four twelve size, hey, if you need a mono 412, it'll run that way. If you run a, want to run two channels of audio or three channels of audio, as I just described it, um, we got it. It's a pretty cool cab. So that yeah, that, that's, that's a case available? of the triangle tech. What's that? That's available. Yeah, I, I could absolutely make it. If somebody, if if people want that, I'll go ahead and put it on the web, website. And we can make it available. Yeah, I, I did this several years ago. I just never released it, but I absolutely can. That's super cool. Um, so again, it's just the, the point being that the triangle technology lives on. And hey, I got a nice deck you can rest the head on now. <laughs> you don't have to balance it anymore. No. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, I, you know, we're kind of caught up. You know, we've, been, we've done amps like the British Dream. The American Dream started with the HLH. Um, British Dream was uh, a Plexi and an AC30 in one. American Dream was a brown face and a black face in one. Um, I did an amp that was inspired by conversations through a buddy of ours, Michael Britt. Uh, Michael Britt wanted, he was playing in Lone Star, uh, still does. He's one of the founding members, but he wanted uh, Blackface meets the Plexi from the British Dream. So he wanted half an American Dream and half a British Dream. I was like, okay, so how am I going to do this? Well, let's do it. I made the channels jumpable, and we called it a Dreamweaver. Uh, that was a very that was a popular amplifier. Um, from there, we had the Dual Citizen, which was AC and Fender. So we were doing these two amps under one roof that didn't normally go together. Citizen Gain, and then this, um, Dave, you've given a shout out to the Kitchen Sink before where it's it's Fender Vox and, uh, and Marshall in one. So we continue to kind of push the envelope of what can happen in, un, under one roof. Uh, so that's- You do, you do realize that in, in, in sort of uh, indirectly, even though it's not really a name, you sort of stole that name. <laughs> because I used to do mods called the Kitchen Sink. You know, and after after you <laughs> called it out as being a cool lamp and you saw it, it was like, wow, cool, Dave Friedman liked the kitchen sink. And then somebody somebody I know says, well, yeah. Dave used to do mods called a kitchen sink. I'm sure that's why he thought it was. <laughs> well, well, I'm like, it, whatever. It's just a term, really, so it's not, it wasn't like, you know. I can uh, but I, but when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, I fucking you stole my name. <laughs> I, it absolutely was not intentional, but um, I, know, I, like, I can change it to the whole nine yards. No, right? it's okay. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> wait, the WHN. The, wait, the whole WNY. WNY. That's not as catchy. No, it's not. No, <laughs> the whole, the whole nine yards. That's funny. Uh, that's funny. Well, the kitchen sink. So how did that? How did that come about, the kitchen sink? The kitchen sink, um, you know, as uh, honestly, I had uh, an amp concept that the way I've designed uh, is I felt like early on, if I can make things little modules, then I could begin to stock my tone pantry. And so I created, uh, there has to be a bridge. If I'm going to have a... a uh, a Fender Blackface type of module, and I'm going to have a Plexi type of module. Those really need different phase inverters. They need different. They need different 
things to really land there. And, and you know, Dave, you know this as, as much as anybody. As as gear designers, we almost have a lot. Um, who's uh, who's the magician? Uh, uh, Chris Angel. We mm-hmm. we have a little bit of Chris Angel in us in that we we have to perform magic. Sometimes it's like, how the hell am I going to get this done? I've got to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And uh, if you take that mus- uh, magician analogy a little further. We don't have to make the elephant disappear. We just have to make you think it did. And sometimes that's where the, the magic lies is how we set it up. But I, I, so I create these modules and then I have uh, a summing bus or a way that I bring these two different things so that whatever's following it, it's these two different sounds aren't dependent on this piece making it sound like it needs to sound. I have to come up with a, a summing bus or a mixed circuit where they happen, kind of like the mat- summing bus on a console. We have all these channels, we have drum kits, bass, da, da, da. it's all got to get somewhere so that it can come together. And so mm. uh, that's kind of, if you try to climb inside my head and how am I, how am I designing gear? It's almost like I'm mixing a record. I, I have you know, I'm pushing down here, you guys can't see it, but I'm pushing faders. Here's a Fender fader, here's a Marshall fader, here's an AC, here's a brown face, whatever. And I've got to get all of that over to, to the mastering bus mm-hmm. uh, and, and sum it so that it comes out the speakers sounding right. And so uh, early on, that's how I decided this was going to be my approach. And it served me well because now, you know, 10 plus years into designing amps, I, um, I, I, it's a really great um, amalgamation of, you know, heck, I just uh, I just did a clean sync for somebody that wanted brown face and black face for the American tone and, and uh, AC30 and top boost for the AC side. And, and on these amps, I have a pan pot. And I thought, you know, mid forward brown face tweed and uh, blending that with an AC, it's not, not going to do that much. Turns out it's a magical blend really um, a really magical blend so you know bringing all these voices together but it's been because i created a way to sum them and i have all these little modules um to come together yeah that's fantastic um we have a super chat from timothy pierce how are you timothy uh i love the show delana love your videos the charvel suite miss my parents also uh, the kitchen sink sounds sweet at David. Never forget mentioning you, uh, never forget <laughs> meeting you at Sammy Bowler in 2018 at Matt's. And then he has, is the BE 20 deluxe version coming soon? Uh, unfortunately, no, <laughs> not yet. Sorry. Maybe down the, maybe years down the road. <laughs> I mean, you can get pretty close with the wildwood pink taco. I mean, there's 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 other amps in the pipeline that are going to happen, so we get some other interesting things. So, <sighs> of course, always. <laughs> oh, right, it's never ending. It, it's I'm... never ending at all, and I... uh, yeah. I can chime in on something I'm working on. It, it, there's one at one of these points. There's going to be well, what can you share that you're working on during this pandemic and all this time on your hands? Yeah, Should I? Yeah. Now, sure. Well, okay. So you would ask how, how the kitchen sink even came about. And being in Nashville, 
I and, and Dave, you see this um, as as well. But we've seen players that I would think probably know better dip into the Kemper world. And I, uh, I, uh, my first experience was that was Michael Britt was yeah he was, uh, this this guy was, he was such a great ambassador and still is but you know by osmosis doing doing Kemper profiles and using our cabinets but, um, so I started seeing this and where you're I even had one of my artists come come and grab me and pull me aside at a Nam show and said and I'm I'm, I'm so sorry, it's over, I'm on what. He goes, it's over. You need to come with me. And he brought me to the Kemper booth and uh, they were profiling a Mesa boogie and somebody was playing on it. And he thought it sounded identical. And I had to at them at that time. This is going to sound awful. I, I wasn't blown away. However, I saw the power of the technology and, and he was adamant to make sure I understood what was going on. And this might have been their first year uh, at, at, they were at a summer NAM several years ago. And, uh, and then Michael Britt, who we did the Dreamweaver with a couple years later, is really on the Kemper. And it took uh, a couple years after that, I had to do some fly dates with Vane. And I did a, a UK tour and I, had, I played on Backline. And I gotta, I gotta be honest. I struggled. I'm playing through Marshalls. You know what? You, you get it sounded raunchy at Soundcheck. You go on stage, and and the show's packed, and you play, and everything's different. Uh, the sustain wasn't there like it was at Soundcheck. I mean, it just seemed like every like, did somebody piss on my pickups? What's going on here? It's just, this isn't working. But you know, you 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 suck it up. You play the show, and it was great to experience that because it made me realize that at that moment. Had I had a Kemper with my profiles of my rig, I, I could have done just justice to the Vane catalog and show that night. So I got it. It took me kind of having to experience, um, but I also missed something of of a real amp. And so I thought to myself, there will come a point in time. People are going to uh, live in this world, and then they're going to come back up because Kemper captures tube amps. And uh, it allows you to take them and reproduce that particular sound that you capture. And uh, I think it does a great job at it. And uh, I also think it's great marketing for tube amps as well. I've, I've certainly learned to embrace the, the platform. And so the kitchen sink was going to be my amplifier that did this myriad of voices. Uh, and and it one upped uh, one up the simulation where it could do multiple voices and blend them and layer them right, and then um, and and the kitchen sink has certainly turned out to to be that. Uh, but Michael Britt and I did a pack together the the Citizen Game Gain CSR, and uh, it was great to you know work closely with Michael and do a pack and then get so much positive feedback and. There's a lot of artists who have reached out and said, hey, I've learned about your company through the Citizen Gain CSR pack. And frankly, they would have never heard of us before had that title not been out. So I really kind of jumped on board the platform knowing that it's not one or the other. It doesn't replace, though in, in certain circumstances, I can lean on that. If I, you know, if I was going to go do a Australia show uh, or tour, 
I would think I'd consider taking one because it can travel in my luggage and I'll be able to reproduce the, you know, the, the catalog. Uh, unless I take a small third power amp that doesn't exist yet, but I, I know what I need and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll design something that I can travel with. But um, what's coming next is uh, with this pandemic, a buddy of mine, Ford Thurston, uh, a lot of cats know Ford through, uh, I mean, this guy's a guitar, absolute genius, really cool Hank. Have you ever met Ford? Either yes, I know okay. Ford. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Ford's a good dude. And um, we were kicking around ideas um, for the last year and a half, two years. But Ford's buddies with a guy named Tom Bukovac. And there's people out there that know who Tom Bukovac are, and they're nodding right now. Yeah, Tom mm -hmm. Bukovac's a, you know, a legend. If you don't know, Tom's responsible for you know, over 500 hit guitar tracks. I mean, he is the session man in Nash Nashville for the last 20, 20 plus years. Ford and Tom are buddies, and we started kicking around this concept of let's do a Kemper pack, not just of a great vintage Marshall or not, because there's all kinds of titles out there, very, very good titles done that capture great examples of great amps. But let's do uh, uh, a Kemper profile pack that is the amps that are on these myriad of hits and, and their Tom Bukovac's backline. So for the last year and a half, and we've been very quiet about it, uh, just kind of organically letting this happen. I've got my, my Kemper here, but I've been profiling Tom Tom's amplifiers for this last year and a half and through this last eight, eight weeks of coronavirus, uh, really had some time to kind of refine and hone and pull this all together. All the while I've kept meticulous notes on where the settings were and really kind of captured these amps in, in their habitat. So anyway, we're gonna put out a Kemper pack uh, maybe as early as uh, some point next week. It's gonna be the hit maker session man, you know, uh, pack that's it's uh, Tom 68 Plexi, and uh, we go from clean to mean. It's also very act. Um, we have Tom's, uh, I think we have serial number three AC 30. Well, it's not even, a, it's, it's, I think it's called C 30, the, the original one made on the kitchen table. Uh, and then we have his um, uh, 68. Princeton, and those are going to be the three amps that are on this upcoming pack. And I know we're we're tone talk. Uh, so when I've told a few people that I was coming out with a, a Kemper profile pack, they wondered which amp, which third power amp is it? And they were shocked when I told them the first title is actually none of my own amps. It's all uh, these other amps. But I think that that's what makes it more unique is in, you know, an amp, an amp dude putting out a, a pack and it's not even my own stuff it's uh so there's a lot of love and care and it's not market i'm not marketing a citizen game in this pack i'm trying to faithfully bring tom's backline from these 500 hit records plus and put it out on a pack so uh keep an eye out on uh for that that'll that'll be announced next week that's cool cool that's cool where, and where can awesome. people find out about that um, we're, uh, going to run a press release on Tuesday, thirdpower.com. Uh, we've been in beta testing. Um, I've got, uh, right around, uh, 50 beta testers. So we're going to see that show up. Uh, chatter is going to start kicking in 
um, maybe over the weekend and stuff. But I think I really wanted to have it up on the site. Um, so when I said tonight, hey, it'll be at thirdpower.com, you know, hit makers pack, go check it out. But it's coming and it'll be announced officially next week. But you guys are getting the, the sneak preview. But if anybody wants to know more about it, you can email me. Um, how about this? Anybody watching right now that sees this and is they're still in the show and, you know, we're, we're drinking. Um, if you send me an email, I'll send you uh, one of the profiles free to just kick around and enjoy. So uh, send me an email if you're interested in this new pack and I'll send you uh, a teaser profile of, of uh, one of the amps in this pack. And what's your email address? Well, you'll find that's on the thirdpower.com. Okay. Just click on click on the email. It's info at third power. It'll come straight to my phone, straight to my computer. But uh, yeah, I'll send you uh, I'll send you a free profile and uh, just give me your feedback on it. So, a little teaser. Cool. So, how did you land on the name Third Power? Is it because of the the triangle concept? Is that what? Well, yeah, we talked about this this power of three, right? So I, I originally had tone, attitude, and technique. As a music teacher, I'm looking for these things that'll stick for a student. You got to practice. You got, you know, I'm just tone, attitude, technique. A great performance requires some type of meaningful balance of those three things. Then, yes, you're right. The triangle chamber, three speakers, uh, HLH, health, love, and happiness. It just, you know, all that kind of started rolling and uh, Lance and I were riffing on on uh, names um, and I think we were ta you know talking about and well uh, Dave when I came to see you down at the the, the or you know the Lugo thing it was called tritone again three right we we're thank God yeah. I didn't name it tritone that would have been an awful name uh, however <laughs> I like third power <clears throat> third power is a lot better yeah yeah, at the time, though, it was tritone. So, yes, we were stuck on this three thing um, divided by 13 ended up having the triangle, right? Wouldn't that have, that have been a coup if uh, if I had uh, or a big win if I was able to name this third power and have a triangle? Uh, but no, he's got the triangle in his logo. Um, so, yeah, threes were going on and Lance and I from Tour Supply were kicking out around ideas. We're Tritone amps. What about third? And we throw out all these names that you could, uh, you know, all these appendages of words. And it was just became word salad three something and this and that and something to the power of three and da da da. I think we landed there and it was something with a three, third power. And Lance goes, How about just third power? Uh, and we, we, we like stopped and he goes, Yeah, let's draw that up. And we just kind of ran with it. So, uh, that's how it happened. I've had people ask me if it's some kind of Illuminati and it's some kind of religious context. <laughs> and it's absolutely not. We were not thinking that deep other than, you know, things of three and certainly inspirational things like health, love and happiness. Well, that makes sense whether you're in a yoga class or you're on stage. You want to be healthy and you want to love your band and love your audience if possible and be happy, you know, so... Anyway, so what? That's how it came about. So, what other products do you make? So, if you can run through the 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 product line. And what's the current lineup? Yeah, current lineup is the uh, kitchen sink sits uh, on the top. That's the multi-voice amp. That's the Fender and Vox and the Marshall. And from there, so that's a clean and dirty amplifier. Two channels with multiple voices on the clean. The dirty's got some switches that. 
you know, you can go from plexi to flamethrower. So, uh, but it's really uh, a multi-functioning two-channel amp, multi-voiced. We basically decoupled that because I had people uh, who loved the dual citizen, which kind of got replaced. Everything got replaced with a clean seek. It made no sense to make a dual citizen, a dream weaver, American dream, a bridge dream, when, you know, that amp is, all those amps were embedded in the kitchen. But people that played clean had no interest in the plexi side. So I spun the line off into a clean sink and a dirty sink. So clean and dirty sinks are one half each of the kitchen. And that made sense. Here's a couple of 20 watt little lamps that kind of point up to the North Star being the, the big uh, the big amp. I had about five years ago, uh, literally the week before NAM, I had a dream. Uh, we all know um, Walking Dead. I'm binge-watching binge Walking Dead for like the month leading up to a winter NAM five years ago. And I wake up and I just, I, I had a bit of that, you know, Van Halen kick the, uh, kick, kick the uh, arena door open attitude. I wake, I woke up and I go, damn it. All I sell is prissy amps. Everything's prissy. Everything's all, you know, it's all pretty and multicolored. And, and I was like, I woke up pissed off. I go, I need something. I need something dirty. I need something with a beard. I, I don't care if you're in a suit with a beard or and you're clean cut or there's beer and noodles hanging in it, you know. Uh, I needed something. Uh, and so it hit me right then, woolly coats. I had a name for a product before I had any idea what it would be. And I thought, well, what do I, where is my amp line open? Because I had American Dream, British Dream, Dreamweaver, Dual Citizen, Citizen Gain. Da, da, da. I mean, it's crazy, right? All this stuff. And I thought, little grab and go. A little grab, what's a perfect little grab and go? Well, number one, little grab and go, it would be a Princeton. And so um, I took all the work that I'd done in an American dream and I just took the blackface voice, shoved it in. I ordered a Mojo uh, Princeton chassis, and basically put the blackface channel of the American dream into that. Everybody was like, you are crazy. You've got to focus on selling what we have now, sell what we have now, sell what we have now. I flew on the plane with the first woolly coat spanky. And I'll tell you what, to this day, that has been my keep the lights on amplifier. I may have a month where, I, you know, eh, not really impressive sales for a big ticket, but dang it, I sold a bunch of woolly coats. And so it's been our number one seller for five years, just flat out. Uh, it's, a, it's a great amp. And so I've, you know, I've kept improving it, added reverb eventually. Uh, there was a, a run there where I did tremolos or a uh, period of time where I did a 20 watt and a 35 watt version. The 20 watt was always the, the big seller of it. So I've just kind of pared it back down. I could see the woolly coats line blossom out again. Um, so there's the woolly coats, uh, not 1849, um, and it's just it's a killer. Uh, I've I, you know I've got that out on the Allison Krauss tour. A uh, bunch of studio cats are cutting records. Cheryl Crow, I just saw the guy sure. from Cheryl Crow. Well, yeah, now he's um, oddly Freed's got the um, he's got the extra spanky. Uh, that that's a model I 
could make basically he had uh, he still has he still owns his matchless. He's quite happy with that amplifier. Uh, but he had some I wishes. I wish this. I wish that. And uh, my shop was over in East Nashville, and, and he and I became buds. And we kicked around some ideas, and he kind of expressed his I wish, I wish. And I said, hey, let me let me make something. And that's an amp. We spent over a year refining and really meeting his I wish, I wish. Got to the point where he's like, that, that, that's it. That's exactly uh, what I want. He doesn't use the reverb, but I forced him to take reverb because it's it's a delicious reverb on there. Um, I think he, he tickles a little bit of reverb here and there. But um, yeah, so that's that's how that came about with Oddly. It's not a signature model. It's the extra chimey, but that was an amp that uh, there, there was one player in mind and one guy I consulted throughout the whole project was, was him. And it was really great to work on that with him. Uh, Sadler Vaden with um, Jason Isbell. We're talking about uh, his next I Wish amp, and he's been using a British Dream for about seven, going on eight years. Uh, but his I Wishes, we're going to take his British Dream and kind of expand it at, at, into all his I Wishes. So that's probably coming up, but who knows when man will start playing again. Um, right. Yeah. So that's. Uh, I think that gets us, did that get us through the lineup? Uh, well, no, I didn't take you all the way through. So we had these myriad of amplifiers, which I can make custom. I know, Dave, you'll do, if somebody wants something, you'll make the damn thing for them. So, uh, sure. I, yeah. Uh, I, you go it might to our take website. a while, but I can do it. <laughs> yeah, might take, exactly. So we have our core dishes that, that we'll cook up for you. And we have some of the chef specials over here. And if you want something from our back catalog or a dish we, we make once in a while, it's there and we'll make it for you. Um, I think, uh, moving forward, we talked about the hit makers coming up. Uh, I make a drive pedal, uh, called the Roosevelt drive. It's really inspired, uh, uh, by the, uh, Mostortion. It's a very extremely popular pedal here in Nashville, I'm, I'm sure. And beyond that's a, a drive pedal that'll get furry, uh, and warm, but has a great three band EQ, um, and a lot of guys will buy a Mostortion and then they'll rehouse it in something a little more robust. And we took it a step further and I took a Mostortion and just looked at it and um, we, we built one in-house and then I started uh, just tearing through it and, and doing some things I may have naturally done to a gain stage in a tube amplifier. And so the prototype had actually tube amp parts uh, certainly over voltage spag, things that you wouldn't normally put in a pedal. But as we, we put it in there, we ended up with a pedal that sounded like a, a tube amp. And that's kind of cliche, uh, but it's it's Mostortion influenced, but the high end is delicious versus, I can kind of use the highs, but after one o'clock, it sounds tinny on, on, on some pedals. This is like, you have full sweep. Uh, I mean, you have lows that actually drop down and grab some meat. There's meat on the bones. There's flesh. You want to you decide how big of a bite you want to take, because we put all kinds of meat on the bone on all those controls, and that's been a pretty popular pedal. Um, it's tough when you, Dave. You've made the pedal thing work for you. Um, there's a, there's there's one of me. Uh, we're we're a much smaller. Yeah, we have we had a huge hit with the BEOD. Um, that, you know, I don't know. That. Yeah. 
at 20,000 pedals or something. Right. I mean, that was, that was a massive hit that knocked that out of the park. And then, you know, some of the other ones have been done well and then some haven't. And it just depends on what, you know, none of them are bad pedals. I don't think it just, you know, it's just like trying to educate people what these pedals do exactly. Yeah. And why they should have them. That's always an interesting thing. Um, I have all yeah. these stories to tell. I, oh, I got a triangle here. I got a magfrag with three different magnets. And then I have this Roosevelt drive that's like a Mostortion. But, you know, again, you know, I've seen cats like Tom Bugavac or Jerry McPherson's one. He's, yeah. he's probably my top user of, a, of the um, Roosevelt drive. It's his always on pedal. He sets it exactly where he needs it and he just runs the volume. And that is, I mean, that's a phenomenal endorsement right there. I can't tell you how many guys, I saw Jerry, Jerry says, order it. And uh, and they just flat out order uh, a Roosevelt drive. But it's, it's a drive pedal that will take your clean to edge of breakup amplifier and extend it without destroying the fun, the inspiration, or the tone. So it really kind of becomes a part of the whole signal path. And I think that's why cats like Jerry just swear by it. Um, I have complex stories. To, my products have a little more, uh, but there is a common thread in, there's a lot of passion, a lot of love and attention to detail. And if I put a pr product out, it doesn't suck. It's, it's, there's somebody out there that that's absolutely the right, uh, I, I'm fixated on your Shelby shirt, by the way. I just saw, uh, I just saw, what is it, uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I what haven't a, seen what that. A great movie. Oh, you haven't I seen that movie? movie? No, I need to see well, it. It was a good movie. I Watch went in. With, this weekend. Okay. Yeah, I went in great. with not much expectation at all, but Ford Thurston told me, dude, you got to check it out. And great. it, oh, it's, a, it's oh. absolutely worth the two hours yeah, for I'll, sure. I'll download it. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Shelby. I mean, I I, I love cars too. That's a if you'll love you'll love you'll love that 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 movie was fantastic. I mean, just fantastic. That's I, cool. So I remember when I wanted to watch it, my wife was like, "Really? Yeah, right? What? Yeah, you think you're going to see one of those silly? Come races? on. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's be... and, and she didn't pay any attention, of course, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's funny. You know, that's that's fine. Do so, we have any more questions? Oh, uh, we've got we got tons of questions. But one, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Before I get to uh, the chat questions, I had a, just an overall question, Mike. Yeah, yeah. What what is um, what are some of your favorite tones? If you had to, you know, describe on record, what are some of your favorite tones? Things that have inspired you. Uh, I want to answer this too. Yeah. You, okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, you know what just jumped out right now is, now, so it would bounce all over the place, but the first thing that that jumped into my head, okay, and then Shanker comes in, doctor, doctor, and he does that two note. So doctor, doctor, live off of that UFO, I was never flipped out over Kiss guitar tones. I was flipped out over the band, but the guitar tones didn't do it for me. Um, Aerosmith guitar tones for just bad assery. Um, some of the, you know, I'm thinking of uh, toys in the attic. Absolutely 
stuff off of stuff off of rocks. I'm thinking of the the, the pseudo live rollout uh, ride out on uh, Train Caparolin. There was a Kiss guitar tone that jumped out. It was side four, Kiss Alive two. You had Rocket Man, and I forget was it Rick Derringer on guitar that did the uh, um, uh, Larger Than Life. That the band goes, and they hold this, and then there's this like whittle, 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 bound. And I just I remember like rewinding the smash and hearing that riff because it was just so piercing. I have to say I've ignored anything Kiss because I don't particularly care for them myself. But sure. I, I understand tons of people that do love them, and and that's cool. Well, and I've that's not work, even. I've done work for them, and that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I know well, it's people not even Ace. I'm them, sure that's just... cool, but I personally, no, nah, I hate them. It's. Yeah. I'm sure it's a studio guy. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, blew me away. Oh um, yeah. Van Halen one and two. Um, Fair warning blew me away. Those would be the three records. You know, I got to tell you, there's a there's a record th- that was definitely popular. However, I don't hear a lot of cats talk about it. Uh, but Great White's debut record, damn. Not only, I, I forget guys' names, uh, uh, what Mark Kendall, guitar player. I wasn't blown away by his playing, but holy heck, that is a rock-ass guitar record. And the singer, I mean, there wasn't, wasn't many better. That's just a flat out, pretty much close to flawless record. Um, I like. I loved Heaven and Hell. I loved the Dio stuff. Um, uh, we jump into. Uh, you don't go to the debut Dixie Dregs album seeking tone, but damn it, if you don't have moments of amazing tone that Steve Morse throws in there. Uh, a couple of records uh, of Dokken, where I really loved. Uh, Lynch was definitely influenced. Uh, Rat, um, uh, lay it down. Who did? Who doesn't drool over the guitar tone at the oh, end of that right. tone? Yeah. Uh, that track, right? Um, yeah, that's amazing. That, I think. Yeah. I think I'm going to get to see that amp. Ooh. I know. Right? A little. Uh, uh, lately, lately I've been into this archaeology. Yeah, <laughs> archaeology. That, that should be a website or something. Archaeology, archaeology amps. Uh, well, you, you're in the town to do that. Yeah, That's uh, great. I don't know. We we've been talking, so I might see that. Hopefully, I do. Yeah. Uh, and lately, I've been. It's been a plethora of stuff. You know, uh, the EVH stuff in the past, and then the Vi and the and the the, the Sykes. And the, <laughs> it's been, yeah. It's like going to the gangbusters lately. Um, That's awesome. You know, like if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down some of those same rabbit holes that you did. Uh, uh, best, uh, I have to say, uh, some Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, like Heartbreaker. The sure. Heartbreaker and stuff in like Heartbreaker and stuff. Uh, unbelievable. Um, Harrison. Uh, Harrison Rocks and, and Toys in the Attic, like I said, unbelievable. Uh, uh, for me, my favorite Van Halen record is Van Halen 2. Yeah. Actually, I like the tone the best on Van Halen 2 of all of them. Uh, although, doctor. although, although, um, you know, all of them had good stuff. Uh, I also really like 84. Mm-hmm. It was cleaner, but I really like 84 and I liked his playing on 84. And fair warning, of course. I mean, you know, 
it's great. But if I had to pick one out of all those, Van Halen two is it for me? Okay. For the yeah. guitar tone. Yeah. Um, I think everything was right on that guitar tone in that one. Um, we got to throw in some Tom Petty. We got to throw well, in Tom some... Petty for the the Vox. Yeah. Semi broken, open chord, unbelievable, amazing. Um, I'm gonna throw one I did on another uh, show. I'm gonna throw one out there that was interesting for me. King's X. Mm. You've mentioned mm-hmm. that before. King's X, uh, uh, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska record. Uh, an amazing record and a unique guitar tone. And that's what made it be great because it wasn't the same. And it, 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 was, and it, was, and it was great sounding. And, and recently Pete Thorne interviewed Ty Tabor and then Pete, Pete went down this uh, rabbit hole and he bought a Lab Series amp. Oh, okay. <laughs> he bought one and plugged it into his 4x12 and you got to crank the mids up on those amps to get them to distort. And when you do that and you crank them and you go and you listen, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that basically that tone. I mean, he had a, a, a the Fender Elite guitar with the little preamp that was in it. I kind of goose the front end a little bit more, okay. but that was the tone. And like you hear, you, you hear it in person, you're like going, uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and it was really cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, like you said to uh, rat invasion and privacy, uh, several rat records. I mean, uh, uh, always good. Uh, a few of the docking records under lock and key, particularly I like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Back for the attack also had some cool, cool sound. I think under lock and key, they had certain kind of fatness to that one. That was good. That's a That's Michael a Wagner record, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. He was like the sound of the. I remember. Eights, right? I remember George telling me on one of the records uh, with Michael. George was using some sort of under the console. They had it hidden, and it was some sort of. Um, Fostask or Fostex or Tascam Porta Studio, that the guitar would go in and would come out and go to the amp, and they'd use it almost as a preamp to boost boost the amp a little bit. Something he discovered at home, you know. Oh, wow. You know, and and it was they had it hidden, so no one would see. <laughs> I wonder if he's got like the Dolby North C button. I, I don't know, but you know, <laughs> but again, this is what. People trying these unique um, things, like same thing with R- Richie Blackmore, he used the tape machine, uh, you know, in front of the mar- 200 watt marshals, you know, and it would preempt it and, and all this. You know, these people trying all these things are what created signature guitar tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was their experimentation, and they came up with their own recipe and their own tone. Um, a, another example there out, that out of, out of uh, you know at the time out of lack of choices you know it's yeah. like you're searching for something I would, how does it distort more I mean that goes back to the kinks slicing slices in their speakers to get the the the, the speaker to distort more <laughs> and you really got me you know so uh, you know those are some of my favorite guitar tones I mean I can. ACDC, of course, uh, you know, Back in Black. Uh, yeah, that's a gaping hole. Back, we didn't back, build my, yeah, yeah. Perfect record. 
sonically across yeah. the board. Yeah. The bass, the drums, everything about that. You put it on a pair of speakers, you crank it up a little bit, and everything about it is like, oh, God, that's good. You know, and... Uh, Man, you know, I don't know. You know, there were there were there were elements of other people too. Steve Stevens had some tones over the years that were oh, yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, I particularly like the stuff on um, Whiplash Smile record, which was all about Plexi Marshall's crank the hell up, and it was really good. I'm gonna uh, write that name down. I, I that's that's maybe I've heard of them, but I don't know who Billy did that. Oh, okay, okay. Billy Idol, but the Whiplash Smile record, which was uh, latter, that was after, you know, the big big record and stuff. Uh, so that would have been 80, 80, mid-80s or something. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but there's some cool, interesting worlds. Forgotten Boy, I think, was one of the songs. And there's some interesting, really cool, like, ambient, cool Marshall Plexi cranked, and it sounds like the amp cranked in a room, and it's just like this cool cool thing um, you, you know who did a really uh great similar to this question of what we're doing right now uh tom bukovac actually has a he, he's got like this weekly almost daily coronavirus corona lessons and i think he drinks a beer while he does it but he has the five steves episode and he goes back uh steve morris is, is one but he calls out the uh, i'm spacing on the guy's name but hey guess what it's steve something but it's uh, old Peter, old Genesis, old Peter Gabriel, and uh, I on his recommendation of some stellar records. I went back and I listened to, to you know, five records I had really never followed. Steve Hackett. Uh, uh, oh, it, it, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm some, reading something in the text. I got another one. Okay, like, yeah. So there's right. there's some great ones there, but his uh, his feel on guitar for folks that don't know anybody that calls himself a guitar player, jump out find uh, Tom Bukovac B U K O, Buka Buk V A C is how his name. Yeah, yeah, Figure out Bukovac. I think B B I I've had too much of this to spell his name out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I That's wanted okay. to. Um, we're, 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 yeah. we're still in control. It's okay. Fine. Yes, we are. Say so there was a. Uh, there was a question that... Uh, so, wait, wait, Mark, let me just comment on this one thing, speaking of the guitar tones. Sure, so yeah. C uh, Cecil uh, Music uh, said, uh, Akira Takasaki, loudness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I Excellent tones, I saw loudness, not, li uh, loudness Live say that after this. Wow. The 80s? Okay. Uh, early '80s, yeah, early '80s. San Francisco was great because all anything metal, anything hard w was coming into town, and yeah. you know, just anything. And yeah, so I saw, I saw. open up for Motley Crue. Yeah, hey, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a run in with Motley Crue. That's a really cool story. Uh, they did an in store. I think it was 1981 or two. It was Leather Records era. Still, they hadn't been signed to the big label yet. Uh, they were at. Um, would it have been Warehouse Records under the freeway in Santa Rosa? They did an in-store uh, before the show. And uh, uh, Nikki Six, totally everybody was approachable. Nikki Six and I talked for, you know, talking to somebody at an in-store for their band, if you talk for literally 30 or 40 seconds, it feels like five minutes. Yeah. So we had we had that that uh, 
you know, that exchange. And I was, you know, looking rock and he was looking rock and I was going to go see him. And we talked about this and that. And he had uh, uh, a vest or a jacket on. And he had a bunch of pins on it. That was his thing is he had pins all over it. And he had a pin, a black pin, a little small quarter size pin that says live evil. And we talked for, you know, like, again, it felt like five minutes is 30, 40 seconds. And I was like, man, right on. Cool. I'm a fan of the band. I'm going to see you tonight. And I go, I want to, you know, basically something to the effect of the, I'd love to remember our conversation. You've got a gazillion pins. Can I have one? And he reaches over and he pulls the live evil pin off of his vest uh, and hands it to me. He goes, right on, kid, you know, whatever. And he and he gave me his pin. I still have it. Oh, it yeah, it would be great if, you know, I know Nikki's got his own, I mean, everybody's got their own lives going on, but if I ever meet him or, hell, Nikki, if you're watching, have me as a guest on your show, uh, I'll, I'll come in and I, I'd love to, you know, either return the pin to you or at least bring it and we'll, we, we could uh, bring that up. But, hell, that's a great memory. I just thought yeah. I'd do it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had a question because, of course, Delana, you're – so well-versed in wireless. And Dave, I asked you this question a few weeks ago. I have a friend, Joe Suma, who sent me pictures of Ed's rig, you know, Van Halen. Um, And apparently he used this wireless uh, that had a boost in it that boosted his... The Schaefer Vega? Yes. So... And now there's a Solo Dallas or something, Solo, whatever, I forget the name of the, yeah. that makes mm-hmm. a boost that supposedly mimics the boost that came in that wireless pedal. Mm-hmm. And and there's some speculation that Ed used that wireless boost in the studio again to help boost his signal. I'm just curious what you guys, if you know anything about it and what your thoughts are on that. Um, yeah. AC/DC used that in the studio. Um... I don't hear it when I hear Ed's tone. I, it's not I, like I'm hearing, I don't I'm believe hearing high quality it. stuff there. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't believe Ed used it in the studio. Used it live, yeah, sure. Um, it's going to squash the signal, right? You're, you're back in the day, wireless. It, it's compressing. It's compressing yep. and, and giving it a little, there's a little gain boost if you boost it. And it's compressing. The solo Dallas stuff sounds great. Uh, it, it, it's super cool. Um, I mean, get over this, people. Look, it's really simple. <laughs> it's, it's really fucking simple. It's a, a an old Plexi Marshall set up a certain way on ten. Depending on what era we're talking about, could have been slaved. Um, but I was told. Straight from Rudy Laren, who was his tech, from the beginning before they were signed until uh, through 19, uh, well, wait, uh, through the 84 tour. That's a good era. He he goes, yeah, that was a long time. He goes, (laughs) what was live generally was a head, one or two cabinets. The head was everything was on ten. Now wait a minute. They had eighty-five cabinets on stage. You mean to tell me only two were running? Yeah, <laughs> one or two. Wow. And uh, everything was on ten with the variac bias. With the bias a certain, trick. Bias certain way. 
Yeah. Is his pedal chain with maybe at various times an EQ. Well, right, because uh, I have the pictures from the, that the, book. The GE10 EQ. Right. Uh, uh, even an MXR6 band at times. Um, that's it. Right. That's all there is to it. It's if you set up the Marshall properly, the way it's supposed to sound, and you crank it, and you maybe boost it slightly with the EQ, dude, it's got gain for days. Now I'm not saying just any old stock Marshall on ten is going to get you that. No, it has Negative to be set up, too. This, has to be this set up a certain way. Yeah. And look, I serviced. You serviced a it. Dozen of his amps. Old amps, old marshals, the same marshals that you saw on tour, the same marshals you saw in pictures, JMPs with square switches, four inputs, uh, the the old wood cabinet head uh, that was early on that you saw way back in 1978 with all those amps lined up. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Never saw any evidence of any modifications. Other than an occasional component change here or there per amp, uh, or maybe an improved impedance selector like that was heavy duty instead of the old little flimsy Marshall ones that would fall out and your amplifier would blow up. Um, that's it. Mm -hmm. 68.7s, just and and Mark, I just dialed that amp in for you that reissue. Mm -hmm. So that dimed up on ten. What does it sound like? Van Halen. <laughs> okay. It's, so there you go. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's got a lot of gain, doesn't it? It's unmistakable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then and so, then you roll back the volume on the guitar and it cleans up. And then depending on the pickup he was using at the time or the yeah. the you know and he used various pickups whatever he wanted to he'd throw a different pickup in a guitar. Oh, let's try this Mighty Mike pickup. Okay, cool. Put that in the guitar. He used it for a, a tour or five shows and then took it out. Put something else in there. You know, it's like put different necks on guitars. So it was always changing. It was a tinkerer's, night, you know, experiment, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, if you guys was can... no science behind it either at the time. It was just, you know, yeah. I have a guitar that just, no matter what you plug it into, conjures that era of tone. And that's behind me here. The Black Charvel, that's... Uh, mm. You realize. Uh, that's a 1981... Oh wow! Uh, bird's eye, no fingerboard. Right, it's just one slab of bird's eye with frets chopped right into it. I took the neck off one time, and it says uh, it's it's a November a November eighteen uh, eighty one, a serial number seven uh, seventy two um, oh seven two in pencil uh, on the neck. But that guitar. So, when you guys see my Cali guitar in black with yeah. cream rings. It's because of that guitar behind you. I've got a picture of Grover. I remember you bringing that guitar in in my yeah. shop and this and that. And yeah. I sat that guitar and like, oh, God, that's great. It's and the one. We did the Cali guitar. That guitar was the inspiration behind the whole guitar. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. Well, I, I mean, not, I mean, visually, visually, you know, like so. Yeah. But it was done by Grover. So, you know, I've, hey. 
Of course. You know, and, well, there you go. Well, you know, right now people are chopping away on the Groom Noodlers forum talking about that guitar and your guitar now. So there we go. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's legendary. Well, I always was like, man, that just looks the black with the cream rings and stuff. It just looks classy. Yeah. It's just like it was like a classy look, and but it still kind of screamed rock and roll, but it wasn't too, even though it was from the 80s, yeah. it wasn't like a dated look necessarily because it was black and it was, you know, kind of simple. It wasn't like there was a, you know, uh, a, you know, some graphic sure. on it or, or well, yeah, there's no color or lightning bolt. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't look like twisted sister did, you know, five years too late with it. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No, no offense TS, but uh, I mean, I've never played that guitar, but the inspiration was, I tell you what, whenever I do a vein record, I mean, I use a lot of guitars for any, you know, whether it's tone testing or any anything I work on. But when I do a vein record, if we need to call back, I mean, that's the guitar that I did no respect with, which is kind of the benchmark. That was our record. But I, I cut it with that guitar. You cut a track, you're immediately you just immediately. I mean, if anybody wants 80s, I already am 80s OG. I mean, heck, I did my first record in 82, but there's a guitar. That's it. You just dip right in. Doesn't matter what you plug into. Right. It's you're there. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, Cecil Music, getting the questions because it's you just yeah. mentioned it. Cecil Music says, Mark, can you ask Alana what's her memories of recording No Respect at La Studio? Such an underrated record. Oh, oh, thank you for that. Um, I I appreciate that. Recording the record, we did it in the winter. It was effing cold. Um, I remember. We did uh, pre-production in Montreal. So we did two weeks in Montreal, Paul Northfield. We're in an up upstairs loft, brick building, uh, you know, working on the tunes and everything was, um, we were given the green light to just capture the band live in the studio. After pre-production, we went into the studio. We stayed at the, the, you know, they basically, I wouldn't call it a mansion, but it's a very, uh, well-equipped, you know, cottage. It was, it was, wasn't a cottage, but it wasn't a mansion, but it was definitely heading that direction, a very well-equipped several room place. It's on the, on the lake, but because it's winter, it's nothing but snow and negative degrees. Um, so, uh, uh, you could, there was no outlet so you were there was no outlet other than to make a record in the dead of you know dead of winter in uh, from Montreal and then to Le Studio Warren Heights, except for skiing. So we did ski a couple of times. I did uh, I did fall down the mountain. <laughs> they had to send a snowmobile up to to retrieve me because uh, I, I I really hurt myself, but I was still able to play. I couldn't walk, but I was able to play. Oh boy. Um, so there was uh, there was a big aurora borealis. Uh, I think, folks, if you don't know what that is, look it up. But it's like standing inside of a diamond on a on a galactic level, uh, on a regional level. Uh, the the beams, uh, you feel like you can touch them, and they're never ending. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, but the aurora borealis effect was so strong that it blew all the power out in the province of Quebec. So you have a massive chunk of the planet without any light uh, pollution at all. So that really kind of exaggerated. And we had just finished tracking a song called Smoke and Shadows when the aurora borealis hit. So that was pretty incredible. 
We were almost done with the record, uh, in particular, a song called Icy. Uh, we had finished tracking Icy. We're on another track, and we needed to blow off some steam. So we went to uh, a local pub club, and there was a cover band playing that night. And during intermission, Paul disappears, and he comes back, and he says, okay, guys, you know, hit it. So uh, the band had, Paul went and negotiated with the band, and they let us up, and we got up there. I mean, we just freaking tore the building down because we we had no outlet. Sure, we're making a record, and this is great, but we had, uh, at, there was nothing to do. So we jumped up there, and we played Icy like there was no tomorrow. Um, when we came in the next day in the studio, we came in and we were already we were maybe tracking some solos and some background vocals. I and mean, we were we were done with basics. We walked back in. The place looks like day one. All the rigs are back up. Everything's mic'd. The drum kits up. Everything. It looks like we just started. We're like, what the hell's going on? He goes, yeah, you guys are going to go record Icy. We're like, we've already cut Icy. And he goes, no, I want the Icy I saw last night. So, uh, yeah, it, it, and so what's on the record was the second complete version because we had already cut it, but it was like icy light compared to what's on the record, and it was pretty cool to to be able to do that. Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're in a studio. You know, Keith Richards had uh, been there. Uh, of course, the the um, a lot of the huge, huge Rush records. And we had the producer, you know, I, w I was keen on studio uh, stuff, you know, back then. And so I, I would just stay quiet in the back and just watch and, OK, we're going to put a little AMS here. We're going to bust this over here. We're going to put a little compression on the kick and snare. We're going to do this and we're going to tuck that and we're going to sum it all and put it over. So it was one of those things where um, in the mid 90s, I had my own Sontech EQs and my own Neve Mike Pre's. I was a freelance engineer. Uh, I was doing a, a lot of recording. I was mastering records in the in the later 90s. Uh, rap, you know, I was I was uh, there was a studio I worked in in Oakland. Imagine me going into Oakland and mastering rap records. It was <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, it was, I I got into it and just. You know, I've worked with guys like Dennis McKay in the studio um, and, and uh, of course, just witnessing the magic of Paul Northfield. Um, so that's there you go. That's a that little bit of the take on the doing no respect. That's cool. Uh, right. Joel Eakins. Dave, is there an output difference between the butter slacks and the JJ 100? My slack seems quite a bit louder, even when I turn the JJ Master most of the way up and use the channel volume to get my level. No, not really. <laughs> uh, Negative I mean, feedback uh, difference between the two? Um, depending on the era of the amp. No, no, maybe. Uh, no, I think it's all there. I think okay. it's just the taper of the pots and what you're what you're doing. It's uh, um, I'm thinking about that for a minute, just between the two amps, and uh, there might be a feedback difference. If one's walloping more the, than the butter slacks having uh, less negative feedback, so it might be might seem a little louder, but in reality, it probably isn't. You just might be setting the volumes in a different spot. 
hopefully I didn't call out a secret, but that tends to be where the, the way he described it is how guitar Well, here's, here's the thing I think that, that some people like sometimes listen with their eyes instead sure. of, you know, like even positionings of things and stuff. And, and, um, it's just like, often it's like a lot of people will say that, Hey, uh, you know, your amp doesn't sound like this old Marshall or just a Marshall or something. I'm like, well, what Marshall? Yeah. And because I can tell you that my B100 Deluxe can sound like this 6850 watt plexi behind me to the point where you can't freaking tell. But what Marshall are you referencing? Do you have a background in really like uh, what what sounds like? You know what? So I'm going to do a video soon. Uh, that you'll see it. It's going to be interesting. I'm looking above. There's a giant spider that right now I'm in a safe distance, but it is right there, and I will continue to watch its progress. <laughs> <laughs> so. If I oh, jump up and have to land on your face. Well, if I yeah, I might jump up and kill something and, and I hate killing something, but it just might meet its end if it gets too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a question. It's funny, it's funny sometimes in your house you'll just look up and you're like, Oh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. Look at that. that. Where did that come from? I may let that live. <laughs> yeah. Huh? I may if, let that if I live. Have... Yeah. That's funny. Uh, it's like I always, I always like uh, my uh, son or do or my wife will like. There's a spider. You have to come here, and I, I come in there, and it's like this daddy long leg spider in the corner. I'm like, going, I'm not killing that. Yeah. It's harmless. It's totally harmless, and just like leave the thing alone. Now, if it was Black Widow or something, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, Plus, you but, have a cat. Uh, the cat will get to it anyway. Oh. We have one cat that kills every bug that's in existence in the house. I've watched the cat catch flies in midair with its two paws oh my and God. then eats it. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like watching, I'm like going, you actually caught it. I can't believe you actually caught it. This is the best fly catching. Uh, <laughs> this is the most useful animal I've ever had. Bravo. Because he, he'll just take care of any bug. That's in the house. That's the exterminator. Awesome. That's fun. <laughs> you just watch him and you're like, oh, that's gross, but okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, we got a question from Cabot Noonless. He says, does yeah. conditioning the wall vote... Let's see, I can't speak now. Let me hang on a second. I know oh, what you meant. Mark, Mark, Mark's not used to drinking whiskey. No, people. no, no, no. I'm not. Uh, just... See, I'm totally lucid tonight. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I had to slow down because I, I have made a substantial dent in my bottle. Yeah. <laughs> you can... It's not as big as my dent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, it's not. Well, wait, wait. No, there was a few. There was a little bit out of that bottle. To begin okay. With. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'll start again. Does conditioning the wall vote... Well, See, I can't say it. <laughs> Voltage. 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 Do anything on Germany. modern amps, specifically for bedroom warriors, would we be able to tell the difference? Uh, uh, no. I'm yeah. I'm mixed on on conditioning because it's like you you have a tube amp. Now, if we're talking a big amplifier, something that's 
that's designed to throw current. And you're going to put a straw and it's got to try to suck the current out of the wall through a straw. That would be a poor form of conditioning. And, and unfortunately, some of the you know, glamorous, you know, branded conditioners, they're really just you're just going to be sucking voltage through or current through a straw. I don't know you're going to get any benefit. Can you get some filtering and get some hash off the line? That might make sense with a better something, a fairly expensive conditioner, as long as it's not. But any any conditioner is going to give you some RF filtering and some stuff and a little bit of hash off the line. But, mm, uh, you know, I mean, people always always think their noise is associated with their wall. And I would say 99% of the time that isn't the case. How about sitting too close to your transformers in the amp? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> 99% of the time, there's some other noise problem. Yeah. And, and then the wall conditioner is not going to cure any EMF field hum from your pickups. Certain houses or, or rooms or certain areas are just EMF central. And and you the guitar will buzz like in, insane. And um, And I hate to tell you this nothing you can do about it not really yeah if you were to do something about it it would be so costly you would pretty much have to line your walls in metal and you'd have to ground it all and it would have to be a shielded cage a faraday cage basically sort of thing and uh you know you're just not going to do this I've dealt with this many times. I'm just like, move. <laughs> I hate to tell you, you're screwed. Right. Uh, I've had people thing, get mad at me. It didn't sound like this in the store. I bring it home. What the hell are you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm no. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. I go. Take I it go, back. Unplug your guitar. Crank the amp up. Crank the gain up. Whatever you're using. Do you hear noise or buzz? No. All I hear is hiss. I go. Yeah. Okay. So it's not the amp. <laughs> it's not the amp. It's not the amp. Well, what happens? Okay. Look, let me give you a lesson. Here. You're getting noise from your pickup. Get a chair that you can spin around in. Okay. Get an office chair, no arms. You can sit there and spin in a circle until it's the quietest. Done. <laughs> no, but but I get a lot. That's just universalist. Change your string this case. Is, this is this is this is like guitar playing one hundred and one for me. Yeah. But they don't under they don't get it or understand because they never heard this or never and it, it actually kind of baffles me because I'm like, did I grow? I just grew up in a different era, I think, or something. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, like I, I find that there's less knowledge. Guitar players are still advanced players now, but there's less technical knowledge about what they're playing through than there ever was. Or their expectations. To the point, to the point of someone asked me for a tutorial video on how to change their fuse. Right. I mean, imagine. A tutorial video on how to change the fuse. Yeah. Well, uh, when we were growing up, <laughs> the, the, the cats that worked at the music store, 
literally were professionals. Uh-huh. Okay, so we we got we we kind of rode that that era where we had been exposed to so much professional uh, effective knowledge. Um, so we yeah we are kind of spoiled. I I know like you said. I find the spot. I don't cut a track on a record uh, ever, even. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if even yeah. if I'm just shooting a little stupid video, I find the spot. And if the camera's here and I'm going to play like this, and that's the quietest, well, I'm going to move the camera there now. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, because that that's just you got to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that that's it's a great question. I'm glad, um, Cabo. I'm going to make another um, comment of, sure. of emails I get. Um, well, that's one. First, unplug your cable from your app and, and listen to what noise floor it has. Yes. And if it's clean, other than speaker cable head, that's it, then it's something else. Whether it be EMF or your pedal board or your pedal board's wired poorly or something, it's something else. The other thing on my particular amps, so sorry. I have a fused AC socket, meaning it has the little tray that you pop the fuse out in the, in the, in the bottom of the AC socket. People, that's the mains fuse, not the yeah. one next to it that says HT fuse. Yeah. The mains fuse is in this little pullout tray because I get, I checked the fuse, the fuse seems good. But it still doesn't power up. Well, that's because the fuse in the pullout tray is the mains fuse. What pullout tray? Oh God. We have it labeled <laughs> over the the IEC. I uh, right. It's labeled yeah. over the IEC that says the actual fuse value and the thing. Right. Yeah. And uh, the next day I'm going to put mains fuse here with pointing arrows. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, well, then, or shoot or shoot that video. Or shoot that t- tutorial video. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I need to, I need to do that actually. Friedman amps maintenance and care. <laughs> Love uh, I'll, I'll do that. That's great. Um, uh, we got a question from the Guitar Guru Network. What's up, Keith? How are you, uh, Keith? We can't answer Keith's question. <laughs> no. All right, All right. I guess. Oh. He didn't do. send it as a super chat, so forget about it. No, I'm just oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he said, if you can't play a, a third power amp and can't access a Friedman, what new amp would you choose to play? Good question. Uh, what's the style? So we've got to pick different styles then. Let's let's pay some tribute. If you want to throw back and go uh, kind of groovy boutique, old school uh, flavor inspiration. You guys have had this guy on your show, uh, Mike Zadie's Dr. Z makes a oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, nice great you know, sure. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll let you throw out the next name. Oh, uh, you can't play one of those. What? We got We don't have. We're not pinned down to style, though, Keith. I know, I know you like Keith. Give me a style. Come on. Yeah, you like to, you like the ripping amplifier. So, I mean, if all we right, can't... all right. Wait. I, you know what? I, I would say that if you're talking like a higher gain rock kind of stuff, I would say the EVH series amps are reasonably cool uh, for a high gain thing. Um, um, I mean, they're a great price. They have a 
I, I, you know, overall they're good amp. Um, might not be your thing. Might be too far. Might be too gainy. Uh, it's a little too gainy for me. But I was gonna um, say, I've been biting my tongue here as you brought that up. I got to tell you, if I go to a show and the band is playing EVHs, I'm good for about 90 seconds and then I got to leave the room because it is. So, I mean, I feel like I walk out like the guy from the Munsters with the top of my head completely sliced off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, it can if. But for 90 seconds, it's destroying. It can sound pretty cool. You know, I don't. I'm, how about the new? How about uh, my, your buddy Mike? I've never met Mr. Soldano, but uh, he's got a new amp out. If you can't have one. Oh, more. the new. Yeah, right. if you want to, if you want to go, go for it. The new SLO 100 is fantastic. Um, uh, Synergy products with the modules are great. Um, the uh, uh, tone. Uh, if you're going more vintagey thing, Tone King. Uh, fantastic and good amps. Uh, Morgan has some cool amps. Um, Joe's a friend of mine. Um, I'm forgetting some here along the way here. Oh, match. You know what? I still love a matchless. So a matchless yeah. is a great amp. So, okay. uh, you know, there's uh there's a couple. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm destroying everybody's ear with that. Okay. So <laughs> I, I've definitely had enough to drink. Uh, I'm going to try to watch my hands. Uh, we don't need to talk with them. Um, there's uh, uh, some bad couple of bad cats that that I like. Oh, yeah, but you know what? I, I had a I had a friend come over and said, "Hey, I want you to check out this amplifier." And he he owns two or three third powers, but he had something that that he liked, and it did some. You know, it was an amp uh, from the company Rev, and I was not. He and he brought a couple of other things. He brought a Mesa Barba over, and both were. Uh, they had their impressive moments, but of, of the two, now I don't know what model of Mezabarba because it's, I know a lot of guys like those. Um, but he had a rev. Again, I don't know what model, but he ran me through the channels. And, uh, you know, one channel is you, you play the, you play the, you know, da, 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 ba, 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 da, 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 da. and then another is like this roaring thing. I, I was impressed. Comes with a foot switch. It was pretty cool. Cool. I don't know if you've heard any of their stuff, but that particular one, I thought, I thought this provided some value. Yeah. You know, I have a secret little amp right next to me. Let me see if I can. Oh, grab I, this got, with. I got a good one for a good one. Nashville, Na Nashville local. Okay. For um, a great amp, it's not going to come at a cheap price. Uh, but Todd Sharp. Yeah. The Joke Twenty. I, I gave up trying great. to bring this out. What, what were you bringing out? <laughs> oh, I, I have, uh, I've had a baby Marshall practice app. I think it's a GX10 with built-in effects, two-channel. Oh, that's good, yeah. oh, my God. I have been rehearsing with that since, I, I don't know when it came out, but I've had this thing so long that, I mean, it's a wonderful little 10-inch uh, grab-and-go. Well, well, it never goes anywhere. <laughs> So it's not a grab and go. Right. It's a put down and stay. But you know, if you just need to have a little, you know, 350 millisecond delay on there, and you want to rip through your 80s hits, that's it's been perfect for that. That's cool. Awesome. Um, I think we've gone through most of the questions. Okay. Um, and uh, so, and it's getting kind of late. 
So, <laughs> yeah, we're kicking ass yeah. on this show. It's three uh, hours. Um, yeah. Hours in. So um, why don't you tell folks where they can reach you, Delana, and, uh, and order your amps and order your products and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, thank you for that. Um, first, I want to say thank you guys. Dave and I have been um, kicking around the idea of having me on the show. I think it's been almost almost two years. Oh, yeah, just, good, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, hell, a lot's gone on in two years, but I'm, I'm excited uh, to be here. Oh, well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this this has been a blast. I've looked for it. It's been it, it's been you know my thing. I've, I mean, I've done all the other things in my life. You know, during the week has all been normal compared to you know this was the big excitement was I wanted to get out here. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a great opportunity. I uh, appreciate everybody who's tuned in and who's going to watch you know and follow up on this show. This is one of those things where you might work on the car and let this run for a while. You know, and uh, on on your. Of yeah. You just let it run like a radio show. Exactly. Um, so it's, so I'm I'm sure that I've met some new people here through um, through just doing the show. So I'm grateful for you tuning in and the, and you guys for the opportunity for me to meet these folks. So you can find more about Third Power at thirdpower.com. Uh, I do still play music, so I have an Instagram, Delana.shreds at Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook. There is a Delana Nova Scott Facebook. Uh, there's a Third Power Amps Facebook, and there's also an official Third Power Amps Facebook um, group as well. All these properties that I have, you know, they might have a lot of followers or not so many, depending on kind of their inception point. Um, but it's a cool hang. And, uh, you know, if you reach out, my email is delana.nova at thirdpower.com. I also have on the website info at thirdpower.com. Either way, that'll come straight to my phone uh, or to my computer. But you know, I'll get right back with you. Um, I'm friendly. I love you know working with folks. Uh, I'm all about inspiration. I'm all about you know positive energy. So I'm super approachable. Uh, uh, you know, there's I need dealers. I think if I look at if I look at all the things that I've got going on all these years in, I don't have enough dealers. Mm. I, and in fact, I have no California dealers. I have nothing west of the of the Mississippi River. Nothing, 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 nothing. Uh, so I'd love to. If there's some dealers watching, I make a great product. I'm um, I'm easy to work with. I do what I say. I take care of you. So if you're looking to add something uh, that's great, hit me up. If you're looking to do special or you want to take care of somebody, you know what? Give me a call. Let's work something out. Let's take care of your customer. Um, I've got some some of the accessories are available on the website. So you can get, I mentioned the Roosevelt Drive. You can buy that on the site. You can buy the Magfrag pickups on the site. Uh, you can buy the speaker cabinets on the site. The amplifiers, they tend to go through dealers because there's a little bit more support uh, that, you know required and, and maybe a sale and picking the right one. If you're in an area where I don't have a dealer, I'm not going to force you to seek out a dealer you've never worked with. Uh, so, if you're in a if you're in a region that doesn't have a dealer, hit me up. I'll make sure you get taken care of. So, there you go. Awesome. That's, yeah. That's fantastic. Great. Yeah, I really want to uh, thank you for coming on, Delana. You're you're oh, awesome. Uh, just got a great great history, and I've heard nothing but awesome things about your products. So uh, hopefully thank everybody will check them out. Um, also, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone for watching. Of course, as usual, yeah. please hit the subscribe button. 
Uh, we need more subscribers for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, sorry, Mark. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. Cutting you off. No, hit the subscriber. Hit the subscribe button. Please hit the bell for notifications. Uh, also, Sweetwater.com. Check out our sponsor, Sweetwater.com. Uh, I'll have a link below. I'll get that in tomorrow because uh, I'm probably going to hit the head, hit hit the bed right after this. Um, but uh, hit the head, hit the head and the bed. Hit the head and the bed. Um, but also, our next coming guest, Dave. You want to say who uh, is coming on the fifteenth? Uh, Ian. Ian. Ian, right? Ian, Ian, door, door, uh, sorry. You got me unprepared here. Okay. From sorry. Anthrax? <laughs> no. From the band Anthrax? No. Oh. Not, not Scott Ian, but good choice. Yes. Uh, I think that will happen. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, actually, uh, there's, there's a band I love uh, from Canada called July Talk. Amazing, amazing band, and we're gonna have Ian, the guitar player from July Talk, on next week, or not next week, two weeks from now. Yeah, whatever the date Mark tells me it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the fifteenth. That's how this works, people. That's exactly. Mark well, tells me the shows on this date, and then I forget, and then he reminds me the day of. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> exactly. It's a very high tech. And uh, and uh, we're going to be happy to have Ian on. And if you don't know who July Talk is, please look up all their amazing videos that they produce. They produce these unbelievable uh, videos for their music uh, all over YouTube. And they're all in black and white. And they all have an artistic vision to them. So uh, I think it's super cool. Awesome. And then uh, the... May 29th, we have Peter Stroud coming from uh, Cheryl Crow's band. So awesome. looking forward to that. All right, guys. Ch- you, you have a great weekend. Stay healthy. Uh, Delana, hang on one second while I hang up. And uh, everybody have okay. a great weekend. Take care. Yes. Okay. All right. Bye, you guys. All right. Bye.